On this episode, we discuss Supergirl. Starring Popeye's famous fried chicken and biscuits. Was there anything else in this movie? Don't know, don't care. <laughs> Welcome to the Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. I'm Elliot Kalin. And we've got two very exciting things going on today. A special guest and another thing that Dan's going to tell us about. Stu, why don't you introduce our special guest first? <laughs> I would love to, Elliot. We are joined today by the co-host of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour and an author and just an all-around great beefcake. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Glenn Weldon. Hey, Glenn. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Gr- grateful to be here. Glad and grateful. It's grateful to be here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Uh, we, we are exci- super excited. This is a super show with uh-huh. the super expert about super things. But I'm also excited because, Dan, you're oper- operating under sort of a Harrison Bergeron <laughs> handicap right now. Can you please explain <laughs> okay, it to so us? So the thing that you were referring to is the thing I thought it is. The exciting news on my end is that I'm in the midst of a Strong hay fever attack. It's uh, It started early this morning. I've d- tried several things to shake it. Changing my clothes, taking a hot shower, having two different types of, no, three different types of allergy medicine, which is probably not a good idea to mix them, but it was that bad. I uh, Should make for an interesting show. Yeah, I ran the, um, what are you, the filter, the air filter. I went outside for a while. I took a nap. Dan, I imagine you... Change. You had a a changing clothes montage about yeah. allergies, where you would like step out of the changing booth, and then you would sneeze, and then Audrey would shake her head no, and you'd go back in, and then come out in a new outfit and sneeze, and she'd shake her head no. Is that what happened? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what happened. No, what happened is I keep trying things and thinking like, oh, that feels good for like about five minutes, and then I start sneezing uncontrollably again. Uh, you may not hear it on the on the on the podcast. I've recently purchased myself a, a cough button. Now I know it says a cough button. I'm gonna. Off-label use it for sneezing as well. <laughs> Just as long as you know that if the warranty does not the warranty does not apply, yeah. if you use it that way. Uh, but anyway, let's turn back to Glenn, who, among other things, uh, literally wrote the book on Superman, Superman, an unauthorized biography. Correct. Yeah, the unauthorized the, uh, biography. Oh, yeah, Daniel. yeah. It's it's a book. Uh, there are there are several. <laughs> Uh, including one that came out like eight months before mine did by Larry Ty that uh, made uh, the front cover of the New York wow. Times book review and kind of kind of ate up the space for it. Not really? That I'm yeah. I, I only I only ever heard about yours, uh, which okay, I cool. I did re- I read that one. I read uh, the Batman book as well, but I I think it would not be unfair to say that Superman is foremost in your heart amongst uh, the the major heroes. Uh, yeah, certainly. I mean, like, he's the first, he's the primal, he's the best. Um, he is very, very difficult to write because you have to kind of make, give him a challenge. And uh, writing that book was figuring out what makes him tick and what sets him apart besides his power set. And basically, I came up with two things. One, he puts the needs of others over those of himself. And two, he doesn't give up. And when you write a Superman story that misses either one of those two things, you're not writing a Superman story. Uh, I will say, though, that writing the second book, uh, The Caped Crusade, Batman and the Rise of Nerd Culture, was a lot more fun. Because the Superman book was basically work for hire. Uh, It was basically the 75th anniversary is coming up. We need a book. Uh, So I basically, you worry that you're writing a 75,000-word Wikipedia entry when you write a book like that because you're just you're just trapped by 
continuity and by chronology. And so the second book was more a chance to kind of dig in and be a little bit more analytical and pull back. But uh, yeah, and, I'm a nerd. And, and sorry to interrupt, Glenn, but just to <laughs> fill out your top three, we have Superman at the top. Number two has got to be Carnage. And number three has got to be Pit, right? Dale Keown's Really? Pit. Dale Keown's Pit? Okay. Okay. Interesting. Hulk with longer hair, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, actually, I have a, uh, a, a tattoo of the swift and powerful monarch of the ocean, uh, Aquaman, as uh, Ted Knight used to say it back in Super Friends. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, uh, Aquaman was my was kind of my nearest and dearest because uh, I grew up uh, thinking I wanted to be a marine biologist, going to school to be a marine biologist, failing at being a marine biologist. And, uh, and yeah, so I, I really always loved Aquaman. Just yeah. Maybe it was the blonde hair and black eyebrows. It was kind of trashy to me. So. Well, I mean, <laughs> failing to be a marine biologist is at least better than failing to be Aquaman, which usually results in, in drowning. Um, yeah, well, uh, I mean, it's a very good point, Daniel. Yeah, it was it was my nickname on the swim team, and I thought it was because I was so fast, but it's because I would go into the water and sink like a rock. So everybody would make fun of me for that. I didn't realize and they were making fun of me. Talk which to fish, my life. Right? Now, I also talked to fish. Yeah, you did. You did get disqualified from the races because you were riding a giant seahorse. That's true. That's true. <laughs> now I had one flying fish on each of my feet. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> I uh, so this I mean the movie we watched was Supergirl not uh, well Dan what are we doing this well, podcast this is, let's just say our well, hold on, let's hold say on, our hold on, hold real on. quick okay let me I'll, okay sure let yeah. me I'll, I'll, all right why why tell the audience what no, we do no, no, no. <laughs> well I mean I some would argue why interrupt me when I was uh, doing also an introductory thing I mean that's another way you could look at it uh, good point so <laughs> LAD's got hay fever chill yeah, out yeah, okay yeah. Uh, I'm dealing hey, with enough fever. Leave that Dan alone. Okay. Joke I said before the recording. I'm saying <laughs> yep. it again now. Ooh, it's still hot. Still good. Oh, man. <laughs> no, what I was going to say is uh, now the book uh, was about Superman. We are talking about the movie Supergirl uh, from mm-hmm. 1984 uh, because this is the Flothouse podcast where we watch a bad movie and we talk about it. Thank you, Elliot. Uh, but uh, the interesting thing about your book on Superman is um, you know, it's called a biography and you do that by sort of tracking the different iterations of Superman through the comics and radio serials and shows and theater and movies. And in that, of course, you touch on the expanded uh, Superman universe. Uh, and uh, Kara Jor-El is, of course, Superman's cousin. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that is about, that is more backstory than Supergirl gives you before thrusting you into this movie. So maybe we should just get into the movie. <laughs> yeah, it was made in, uh, well, it came out in 1984, um, right on the heels of Superman 3, which was, let's just say, a disappointment, uh, <laughs> both both financially and critically. It made $60 million, but still. Uh, and the Salkins, when they bought the rights to Superman, they bought the rights to a bunch of Kryptonian characters, including Supergirl. So they were thinking, okay, so if nobody's buying Superman anymore, let's let's pivot. Who runs the world? They, so. You have to imagine <laughs> yeah. the meeting at the Salkin headquarters where they're looking at all the characters and they're like, "Do we do a Supergirl movie or do we do a Beppo the Super Monkey movie?" <laughs> I, was, well, I was pushing for Beppo. Are we, we don't want to work with another monkey. Let's just <laughs> let's just. Let's just use. I assume they must have made a movie with a monkey at some point. Let's just uh, let's do. And someone's like, "What about Streaky the Super Cat?" Mm-hmm. People don't want to see cat movies. Not realizing that Garfield, A Tale of Two Kitties, would be a huge hit many years down the line. <laughs> I was waiting for the Comet the Superhorse poll, but it didn't come. <laughs> well, and so, and Comet was the one who became a person and fell in love with Supergirl. This is right? also true. Yes. Oh, the that old, old Superman plot. comics were. 
the thing is, this movie is really crazy. But then mm-hmm. I think about the old Superman comics, which were crazier. Like the one of my favorite Superman stories is is it called Superman's New Power, where he learns how to shoot a tiny Superman out of his hand and then it, starts getting jealous of how much affection the tiny Superman is getting. It totally is. That was uh, that was a time, and we're we're talking about the Silver Age now, when uh, they just kind of kept building out his world and adding new characters. Uh, because it was about pure imagination. It was about. It was aimed at kids, right? So uh, you're just telling fanciful stories, and it, but that is also uh, the thing that kind of let people start uh, gravitating over to Marvel more, because Marvel was directing itself at uh, older teens and adults, and so there, there's more to chew on in a, in a Marvel story than there was in a DC story at the time. Now, so I that's, love... that's one more reason to be mad at Tiny Superman. <laughs> yeah, another reason. Now, I love I love Marvel Comics. I'm a Marvel zombie going way back. It's in my bones. But now that you've mentioned that, I never realized before, it, Marvel Comics is kind of comics for kids who are old enough to be ashamed of masturbating, I guess is what it comes down to. <laughs> like every Marvel superhero from the 60s has carries around this deep guilt and shame that only can come from the knowledge that they can give themselves sexual pleasure mm, and aren't supposed to. Interesting. <laughs> Right, because the uh, the DC heroes were all about, I, I want to fly fast, I want to be the best, I want to be the strongest. And Marvel books at the time uh, were about guilt, alienation, uh, feelings of self-loathing. So it was more <laughs> uh-huh. teenage than kids. Yeah. yeah. And later on, they were all about pouches, right? And accessories. <laughs> later on, they were all about pouches. Yeah, and then the 90s Marvel was a very pouch-based company. <laughs> now, with regard to the goofiness, uh, getting back to Supergirl, the goofiness in this movie... I really love the goofiness in this movie. Wait, you thought this movie was goofy? <laughs> <laughs> to me, the goofiness is the honestly the best part, except the, the and <laughs> sort of a related problem. The related problem is the lack of interest in adequately setting up anything in the film or explaining <laughs> like any sort of internal consistency about <laughs> what's going on or like how old Kara is and like you know like what exactly her deal it i don't know we'll get into it i have i have a theory about this as and we'll see if the plot bears me up there was a certain point in this movie where i was like this movie feels like the national lampoon x-rated parody of supergirl but with all the sex taken out of it like there's so many (laughs) situations she get placed in where i'm like where i'm like there's a different version of this movie that i do not want to see where this leads to her having sex with something and i don't and it felt like well but also i that's interesting because like it feels the movie does feel like this sort of like seventies key party, and then a Supergirl movie just sort of broke out in the middle of it. It's got this sort of like, you know, seventies going into the eighties. I mean, this is eighty four, but it's still got that vibe, like sort of like uh, slacker, like drugs in the rec room feel. Something about it, and like the guy who wrote it mostly wrote a bunch of Muppet Show scripts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, David O'Dell, and yeah. it's got that kind of like burn burning end of the the hippie era like vibe about it. I don't know. There well, now that, now that you mention it, I never noticed Faye Dunaway's character is basically Miss Piggy. <laughs> like it's basically yeah. if Miss Piggy was the bad guy. All right, it works. Yeah, she's incredible. Yeah, she, wait, <laughs> wait a minute. She's incredible. She is incredible. Uh, yeah. We are getting ahead of ourselves, but I will say this. Um, to my knowledge, nobody involved in this thing was queer or queer identified, but every scene between Faye Dunaway and Brenda Vaccaro is giving yeah. you major queer vibes. And it's not just because of the casting, because you got Faye Dunaway and Brenda Vaccaro, you're halfway there. But because uh-huh. of those roles, you've got yeah. Diva and Brassy Broad. You've got... The diva, uh, she, so uh, Crawford is, uh, I'm sorry, Faye Dunaway's playing like the Crawford, the Betty Davis, and 
Brenda Vaccaro is serving you Joan Blondell and Rosalind Russell. Mm-hmm. And then you add the fop to it, um, yeah. you know, with you sort uh, of with loose, Peter Cook. Uh, yeah, yeah, like he's doing. The, he's giving you, yeah, he's giving you George Saunders <laughs> or whoever played Uncle Max in uh, in Sound of Music. Like he's giving you that. Put those three together, and that for the queer community is like what Maiden Mother Crone is to the straight community. <laughs> yeah. It's diva, yeah, yeah. broad, and fop, and that's that's why it ha- those scenes have a have a power. They're the most fun part of the movie for me. It yeah. does. It does yeah, feel like down. somebody was like, "What if a superhero fought absolutely fabulous?" Yeah, one hundred percent. So uh, I guess you should so tell I'm us gonna what be this dri- movie's about. I'm going to be driving this car. Obviously, y'all are the experts, so feel free to interrupt me. So uh, the movie opens with a very smoky credit sequence. Mm-hmm. It's pretty great. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, we open media res <laughs> in a futuristic, a futuristic jizz city populated by hippies. Uh-huh. It does look, it does look like it is built out of dry jizz. You're right. It's called Argo City, but uh, you know, it is Argo City. And canonically, in the comics, it's a big chunk of Krypton that flew off intact because there was a bubble over it. Uh, originally, okay. it was supposed to be just an air bubble, but that's not how space works. So they re- rejiggered it so it would be uh, the leader, who was Zorel, who was Jorel's brother. Uh, he created a dome around the city back when it was still on Krypton because he was afraid of germs. So, sure. And that dome. He was the Howie Mandel of Krypton. <laughs> And he, that protected the city, and then they realized that the ground was turning into kryptonite, so they uh, covered the, the ground with lead sheets, which just is toxic, so I don't know what they were thinking there. <laughs> and then meteors uh, penetrated the, the city, and uh, everybody was dying, so Zorel and Alora, played here by, uh, Alora's played here by Mia Farrow for a hot second, mm-hmm. um, rocketed uh, Kara to Earth and she was the younger cousin to Superman, and she got adopted. It's a whole thing. But this is a much different vibe, because this Argo City looks more like if you cross, like, Mall of America with, like, uh-huh. Sedona and, like, an open-plan <laughs> elementary school, like, from the 70s. Yeah, it's maybe some Logan's Run is in there, too. Some Logan's Run in there, sure. Oh, yeah, and, and, it's, and all of the backstory that you just gave us explains how... They just talk about Krypton and the people on Krypton as if that planet didn't explode and kill everybody. Yeah, yep. Like, they're just like, oh, yeah, my cousin's at Earth. And it's like, did you? where are you? Like, how are you not dead now? But, What's going on? But the movie doesn't make any effort to, like, let you know yeah, no. any of this. And it, it, like, it's weird because it has the same thing that the uh, original, the first Christopher Reeve Superman has, which is like, okay, we're going to start out. With this Krypton stuff, uh, you're gonna get your big big name stars here. This is mostly mm-hmm. where you're gonna see Peter O'Toole and, as you say, Mia Farrow's there for a second. But but it did it did learn the lesson, I guess, from Superman that like that stuff is boring and we should get through it fast. But mm-hmm. it didn't replace it with like any sort of exposition that made sense. Like it's just like, uh, wait, hold on. So some of you are still alive, and you also know that Superman is on Earth and famous for some reason? Like, I'm not sure how that <laughs> happened, but sure. Yeah, yeah, and like, the these people seem remarkably chill, uh, because they're all in, like, flowing togas and, and uh, tunics, yep. which is how science fiction f- films kind of convey to you oh this is this is this in star trek this would be the pleasure planet that they go to that holds dark secret or that mm-hmm. uh, you know wesley stepped in the geraniums or whatever and that would cause cause the plot and it, it's and the whole design of this if you think about it the superman films the kryptonian design is angular it's crystalline it's hard here uh it's a it's a female-led film it's more organic and kind of softer and rounder 
Um, but uh, it's really poorly designed because there's one point where Kara is walking and she has to walk through a school to get to where she's going. She has to, like, walk up the steps. It's just not uh, well And well also the fact, that, the fact that, that, that their, uh, their city is powered by a billiard ball-sized device <laughs> that can easily get thrown through a window that's yeah, destroying well, the city. Let's get to that. Let's, uh, yeah. Yeah, let, let's, get, let's get back on track. So uh, we're introduced to Zoltar, who is making a tree out of jizz using his magic stick and magic ball. He would eventually go down to Earth and turn Tom Hanks into a big guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He has like this, like like what basically is like a, I don't know, like a like a, a paperweight, a glass paperweight uh, carrot that he's using as like a three D printer to to make. It's three D printing exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, and he's wearing uh, this this nineteen eighty three chess king sweater that oof, oof boy it's just, it's actually more of a tunic I now realize because it's cinched at the waist yeah, yeah. but oof oof that thing. It feels like a precursor to a classic drug rug. That's yeah, uh, true. And uh, and Zoltar uh, has a conversation with Kara, who Kara uh, Zorel, who is uh, curious, and they talk about I don't know, like they talk about uh, the the city and like the power source that he's holding because that little ball he's got that's the Omo- Omega Hedron, Hedron, Omega Hedron, which is which I do love. Or he says Hedron because he he's, he's English, I guess. Yep. But I, I, th- that's a real Jack Kirby esque name, which yes, I love. That's like true. you know, you in a New Gods thing, you I could totally see Orion fighting Calabac over an Omega Hedron, and I would be like, great. So I love that name. Uh, so, uh, Zoltar and Supergirl here have a real Doc Brown Marty McFly mm-hmm. relationship, yes, where it's just taken much. for granted that a teenager is friends with a with a kind of with a kind of slightly sinister inventor. Now, yes, which, and this is also I mentioned. So I mentioned my question about Kara's age uh, earlier, and uh, Stuart made a face. I think he thought it was weird, but the reason I'm saying this is like here in the early scenes, right? Like she seems like. Beyond young and naive, like she seems, uh, uh, you know, like n- none too bright or something. Like there's something like she seems like a child, like a like a real child in this. Where she's I th- like, I think she's uh-huh. supposed to have that kind of like angelic naivete. Yes, but right. but it, it manifests in her like sitting like cross-legged on the ground, like three D printing uh, uh, dragonflies and such, and and then like once she gets to Earth, she I guess is supposed to be going to a private school, although it's left, like, it, it's left... It's a boarding it's school, a boarding right? School. It's, a, it's a public boarding school. Like, many it's a many towns have public boarding schools that everyone has to go to and live yeah. at, so the parents can keep having key but parties. The actor, it was the <laughs> late, it was early 80s. But the the you confusing know. part of it is it's never said outright, like, it could be a college. I think it's supposed to be a, just a private school. But Helen Slater herself... She is 21 when this movie is made, and her love interest is like the groundskeeper who's around, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. the who Faye Dunaway is also interested in, and I guess they kind of make her age Everybody's ambiguous different. partly because of that, but it leads to this like weird, I don't know, like disjoint that I'm like, okay, what what well, am I supposed to believe triangle, here but- is going. There's a love triangle between a groundskeeper who's probably in anywhere from 25 to 35, mm-hmm. Faye Dunaway, and a teenage girl. Yeah, it's. I mean, it yes. is like uh, the the movie The Tale uh, <laughs> with Laura Dern, which is about a which is about a young girl being exploited. Like, yeah, a, it's very strange. But on the other hand, 
I'll raise you, we'll, and I'll raise this question again when we get to the point where she goes undercover as a boarding school, private school girl. Why did she do that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, we'll get there, but yeah, yeah, I also have that question. Uh, but uh, yeah, her age is, is, very, is very definitely ambiguous. She's somewhere between, I'm guessing, 16 and 27. <laughs> yeah, all right. And the script does not give her much to do except play yeah. sort of guileless and uh, kind and trusting, which mm-hmm. is just not, I mean, and, and, you know, it's her first role. It's her first film role, uh, yeah. Helen Slater, before Billie Jean became legend. <laughs> she was a folktale. Um, and, and she's on the screen with Peter O'Toole, who, I, you know, he's game. He's certainly game. But, like, I think his agent just said, look, Marlon did Superman. Uh, he made a mint. He bought an island. Don't you want an island? And uh, he, so he, he, is, he has to say words like Omega Hedron and binary shoot over and over again in this thing. And I just... Ugh, it just. Uh, what would what, you guys think of him? I mean, he, he was well, fun. I think he's. I mean, he's. Oh, Peter O'Toole is so charismatic, and he's really that. Like, he really is able to. Even when he's playing drunk Zoltar later, he's still able to like do it with a certain amount of style. But it's also like, to be honest, if I was going to be in a movie, I'd love to be saying words like Omega Hedron and binary sure. shoot and things like that. Maybe he was having a great time, except for the sweater. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. But it uh, is. And obviously, when he shows up later on, is drunk Zoltar, and he just keeps saying squirt yep. over and over. And I'm like, <laughs> Dude, fucking cool out. Well, the other yeah, thing that I didn't like. about Peter O'Toole's character, and I'm sorry that I'm about to like step on Stuart's job a little bit here, is he hands That's he okay. hands the power source for the whole city over to Kara, and she's like playing around with it. Uh, the she makes this um, bug that creates like starts flying around. I guess she's created life. It like it opens a hole in the city yep. that's I guess covered with a tarp. The the void of space. <laughs> Like the the, the city the city is made out of like greased paper or it's, it's like rice paper like mm-hmm. a Japanese house. Yeah, it's yeah. saran wrap. The it's, MacGuffin it's, it's like it's shoots out into the, into space, uh, going to Earth, and like all this happens in such a way that I'm like, oh, some other shoes got to drop later. Where Peter O'Toole planned all this, he knew that like. Yeah, because it's like otherwise it's this. Dumbest... Dan, you're thinking like a modern movie. You're thinking like a modern movie result. She goes to the Phantom Zone. And he goes, "I wanted to get caught here. It was all part of my plan mm-hmm. to be caught and imprisoned." But no, this is a dumb '80s movie. Things just happen, but man. This is the stupidest way to kick off a movie because it's like, okay, uh, we're we're hurtling through space. Uh, I guess your bug is gonna get rid of our power source. And you're gonna have to go to Earth. Yeah. <laughs> Elliot, I feel like I feel like in the writers' room for this movie on the on the whiteboard in big letters it just said things just happen, man. Yeah, I, probably. The, like, I mean, there was probably a real feeling of like, how do we make Kara responsible for what happens so that she has to be the one who goes on this adventure? And they do it in the in the dumbest way. Yeah. I mean, like you see it in in lots of kids' movies where someone will like accidentally hit the wrong switch on a machine and that puts launches them on an adventure. But it's like, that's the thing is this movie, it's hard to tell. And maybe I think of it as a kid's movie because I watched it many times as a kid and yet remembered only two things from it. One of them being that Faye Dunaway's house has a skull on its door. <laughs> that's one of the two things I remember from the movie that like yeah. this movie feels like both a it feel it is kind of too dumb to be a movie for grownups, but it is too weird to be a movie for kids. But it's the kind of thing I could buy in a kid's movie where it's like. Oh, here you go. Hold this thing. I got it. Whoops. Yeah. And now the adventure Except begins. I can understand, like, you know, what, whatever, space camp accidentally sending everyone into space, right? Like, that's one where... You understand that? <laughs> Damn, why would they have a working rocket at space camp? Yeah. But, I mean, like, that is, like, a much more... For as dumb as that movie is, it's a more carefully set up mistake where you don't necessarily, like, blame the kid for what happens. Here... 
you know, I don't know if if Kara put pushed a button that sent her to Earth and launched her on a mission. Great, you know, accident. But here she's like endangered her and the remaining people of her planet. Stakes are too high. Yeah. It also yeah. and she and she knows she has just a few days before the city shuts down, which again makes it weird why she decides to enroll at a private, exactly. a private school yep. and just hang out with the students there for a while. Yeah. yeah. It's Mia Farrow who gives us the stakes because she says our lights will grow dim and the very air we breathe so thin, which is really putting a a, a happy face on you know your imminent <laughs> yeah. death. Our lights will grow dim. That's what she's concerned about, and the air will be slightly thin. But as soon as she says that, yeah. that's like, and that's a production wrap on Mia Farrow, everyone. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like she is gone. She gets a big title credit for the fact that she's in the movie for about Third build, a minute yeah. and a half. Yep. Yeah. And and she so of course as we as we've already addressed, Kara uh, fucks around with the wand. Makes a giant mosquito thing or dragonfly thing. They lose the power source. Shit is looking grim. So Kara decides the only way to fix things is she climbs into a magical egg that takes her out of the town while everybody watches her float away. <laughs> Which is just yep. lying out there. Which is just lying just, in the middle on a, on, a, on a balcony. It's like that is some OSHA. It's a real. It's a real business. Montessori space city where <laughs> yeah. they just leave the activities out for people to gravitate to, and they're uh-huh. it's carefully <laughs> yeah. curated. But you know. And and at the same time, Zoltar's like, oh, well, this is my bad. So you guys can all die. You're going to die soon. I'm going to go to the Phantom Zone, and I'll never die. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Did you plan this then? <laughs> zip, zip, but I'm gone. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, now cut to, oh, and while she she's in this magic egg, it takes her on a trippy voyage from inner space, which we learn they're not in outer space. They're in inner space. Don't quite know what nope, it means. I nope. don't see Martin Short anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like, you know, there's like a, like a light show going on outside. It's very exciting. Uh, cut to the planet Earth and a, let's say, I, d- I had trouble describing this couple, but it's Selena and Nigel. <laughs> and you, you, we already talked about them a little bit. That's Faye Dunaway and Peter Cook, did yeah. you say? That, mm-hmm. kind of, that kind of explains the couple. It's Faye Dunaway and Peter Cook at their most Faye Dunawayist <laughs> and Peter Cookist, and they're magicians. Yeah, and they're Absolutely. playing you know. people called Selena and Nigel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're like lounging about in the park, picnicking on a like a tiger fur. <laughs> yep, as you do. <laughs> yeah, and they're and they're talking about uh, dreams of world domination and black magic. We learn that they're uh, sorcerers. Yes. Well, again, here this is a this is a, another place where the movie <laughs> feels too tired to do any of the legwork that would set any of uh-huh. this up. And according to Wikipedia, there was a longer introduction of these two characters. Uh, initially, which may have helped a little, but as it is in the movie... No need. Well, as it is in the movie, it's basically just like, as you know, we are both magicians, and I'm teaching you the black magic arts, and you want to take over the world. Anyway, oh no, what's that? Coming out of the sky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, I own then, the yeah. Blu-ray, which is um, which has the director's cut, uh, which is 20 minutes longer, where we get a lot more of this scene, a lot more of the sort of air ballet that's coming up, and mm. a hell of a lot more. One could argue, and I will, too much more of the um, the bulldozer crane oh. terrorizes a city, which just goes on forever already. Although it is, although I will say, I'll stand by it. That bulldozer gives the greatest performance in the movie because I was like. <laughs> I was like, I get it. This bulldozer is is he's an evil bulldozer. Yeah, yeah. and like yeah. I understand sort it. Sort of we'll killdozer. <laughs> Dan, pl- Dan, does he reach the level of killdozer? No. <laughs> okay. Theodore sorry. Sturgeon was a special kind of genius, and though killdozer is yes, not his greatest <laughs> work. That would probably be what more than human. Uh, I would rather not you compare this. 
maimed dozer at best. To the yeah, dozer. sort of gently cradled dozer, but uh. yeah, it's actually it's more of a it's more of a menacing nanny dozer. Yeah. yeah. So falling out of the sky like a meteor with a symbiote in it comes the power source. The megahedron just lands in their lunch. The I will say uh, so this, the, the, the addition of the food that it lands in instantly makes this an okay way to get it to me. And if yeah. if Peter Parker had had like an ice cream and the symbiote meteor had landed in that, I would have been like, okay, you know what, Sam Raimi, I'm buying mm-hmm. this now. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, if he was making up a big pot of eggs erroneous and the symbiote landed right in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He's so, having an ironic hipster fondue party at, yeah. his, at his loft, and it, and it flies uh-huh. in through the window, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Selena realizes that the orb may well be the answer to all of her problems, financial, power, etc. Uh, so Selena takes off in the car. Uh... Kara comes flying out of the nearby river in full costume. Now, you're probably wondering, wait, the last time we saw her, she was in an egg and there was shit going on. Well, they do not explain how she got from point A to point B, but it makes sense, I guess. Yeah, this, or how uh, her clothes changed. That's the main uh-huh. thing. The clothes, let's not, I mean, you know, I guess the idea for Superman, right, is that the costume is made out of his swaddling clothes that he was sent. Like, exactly. Meanwhile, Kara just shows up. She's like, uh, I guess, like, you know, my, my cousin Soups has one of these, so I packed one when I head off for Earth. Like, Yeah, she keeps um, exhibiting that non-canonical superpower of just the instant change, mm-hmm. and it really bugged me as a kid it bugs me now and, you know the same thing with the front roll-up uh s shield and superman 2 bugged me then bugs me yeah. now the fact that they had the phantom zone villains kind of point and a little white laser came out of their fingers for no reason because they already had heat vision all of that stuff uh-huh. is uh it just doesn't make any sense but uh i will say uh i never really thought about it till now how silly it is that superman is wearing his baby blanket like, <laughs> yeah does he ever mention that to the people people are like nice costume he's like yeah that's my baby blanket i mean <laughs> like, he's, he's doing it as an advertisement for like just the strength of uh kryptonian millinery like just like being able to oh, okay so he's like a he's a brand ambassador yeah like saying. the the textiles they make on that planet are so strong it's not frayed it doesn't smell like baby you know it's it's great <laughs> <laughs> does it smell like baby because I mean, it's it made might. out of it yeah. but it doesn't smell like yeah. it but i mean the, the, in the film's defense they did put those primary colored like shiny blankets in the pod and we see her go off and if we had a scene of her like you know stitching together a costume that would be really yeah. boring yeah and real quick, guys, mm, you as can a Spider-Man this to me. fan, I'm a big fan of watching the heroes stitch their own costume. But I, th- Our, I wonder if there's if even they made like a big even if they showed her in her regular clothes and then there was like a glowing light and then it changed her into a costume. It's one of things where it still wouldn't make sense, but at least they would have made like a spectacle or an introduction. Sure. Here, here, it definitely feels like they're like, uh, yeah, she's in the costume now, and you're like, yeah, why? And they're like, did you see the poster? This is what she wears. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so you guys can help me here. Has she been in contact with Superman this whole time? Nope. Yeah. Nope. Okay. So she just knows her cousin left as a baby. Yeah. I think they get, they get, well, they know that he's on earth. Uh, yeah. And but later she says, right? Oh, Clark Kent's my cousin. So maybe they get Daily Planet delivery yeah. at Argo City. I well, I mean, yeah. Zoltar knows a lot about Earth. He knows about horses and trees. Uh, mm-hmm. So obviously, I just imagine he's just kind of monitoring. Superman, that's my fan way. Oh, okay. You're filling it's, in the blanks for the movie. Yeah, I like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Also, and, and also they speak English at Argo City, and she instantly knows English uh-huh. when she gets here. So yeah. there's that too. Yeah. yeah. 
Okay, so she flies out in full costume. She starts exploring. She crushes some rocks. Mm-hmm. She flies all over creation. Yeah, all over some, you know, stock footage of, like, <laughs> okay, well, trees. There is, and... some par- there is some parallel here because when uh, Zod, Nan, and Ursa in Superman 2 landed near a very similar river, if not mm. the exact same river, uh, Ursa fried a snake with her eyes because evil, and Kara lets a flower bloom with her heat vision because good. Uh, uh, oh, and there's a real, I think the wire work part of this is kind of impressive. Like, it's actually really good aerial ballet stuff, but then as soon as you cut to the, like, she's just kind of hovering in front of a nature documentary, it just looks, it looks <laughs> yeah, cheap again. Yeah. No, the flying effects in this look really good for the most part. Like it's yeah. in, in, better than better than Superman, I would say. Mm-hmm. I? Not I haven't seen Superman in a while, but like as a kid, the Superman movies. I, they were. Yeah, I, I know the tagline was "You will believe a man can fly," but like as a kid, I was like, "Buddy, it's a, it's a movie. Like it's not real." <laughs> I, I've been. <laughs> but this. Like, I've been using that cough block, Elliot. So that Gazuntite is going to make you look crazy. You're right. Sorry, everybody. Let me expl- let me put in a little little true believer box here. Asterix. Dan was sneezing off camera. Don't don't send in for your no prizes, everybody. <laughs> suffering, Stan. He's suffering from allergies. Uh, and so the the wire, but the flight stuff you know, looks really yeah. good in this. There's a couple of effects things in this that look much better than the movie should have. I mean, this frankly. and speaking it of flying, three thirty five million, and that that's eighty four dollars. Uh, yeah. So that's you know it's it's a pretty big production still even after uh, you know Superman three not doing so well it made like fourteen so it was not yep. not a not a success. Yep. Yeah. So after flying around for a bit, uh, it gets dark. She ends up landing in a somewhat abandoned city street, and a uh, truck pulls up, and two fellows, one of them being Matt Frewer, Max Hedrum himself, comes mm-hmm, out. Mm-hmm. And, and the other they, being kind of a not Randy Quaid. Yeah, yeah, yeah ex- Quaid. exactly. And the and one of the little Sandy Easter egg Quaid. for the true fans there. <laughs> a little Easter egg for the fans there is Matt Frewer is wearing a A&W shirt, which is a Diet Pepsi, or not Diet Pepsi, Dr. Pepper product. And there are other Dr. Pepper products referenced throughout this movie. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, Matt Frewer and this is fellow. That an Easter egg, Steve? <laughs> it's, it's a little, it's a little Easter egg for the fans. Yeah. Uh, so he and this fellow, uh, you know, they they're the first people that she has met on Earth. She is naive, and they of course attempt to assault her. Uh, and they're, when pressed about it, they say that's because that's who we are, yeah. which is really weird. <laughs> it's really weird. Uh, and so she just, you know, she beats the shit yeah, out of I, him, which is look, great. I, but look, it's I, still like a weird threat <laughs> this early in the movie. Let's move past yeah. this very quickly, but it is very strange that they have this scene of, like, these are clearly men who want to assault her. And I'm, I will not make light of that, but I will, like, make light of the movie's depiction of it, where they seem to be, like, <laughs> very pleased about this fact like they might like put it on a sign on their truck like this is what they're doing they're just driving around terrorizing people at night and uh, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of 80s stuff in this which is cities are bad cities are full yeah, of crime right truckers are scary truckers are bad you can't trust them and, and you know there, there's something kind of rednecky about them and in the 80s rednecks were you know were always bad guys and scary but also like it's supposed to be i assume empowering supergirl takes care of them so quickly but they are so one note in their dedication to attacking her that even after she has used her freeze hurricane breath mm-hmm. and her, her wind breath and her heat vision, the bad guy still pulls a knife and tries to go after it. And it's like, dude, what are you doing? Just give it up. Yeah. Like what? And I have to imagine that if you were the A&W executive who had sold the, 
Like, I, I secured, we're in a Supergirl movie, and then you're sitting there in the audience as a man who basically is wearing the A&W logo like it's his superhero insignia on his chest <laughs> is a would-be assault. Like, it's, it's uh, that, that kind of went pear-shaped for yeah, yeah. I imagine he takes he takes the rest of the A&W office crew to the movies to see it, and he's sitting <laughs> next to his boss, and he's just sinking down in his seat as the scene goes on, his boss is getting madder and madder. <laughs> it's like, you never told me that what kind of character should be wearing the shirt. He's yeah. like, I didn't think I had to. <laughs> anyway, moving on. So, so uh, moving on to our other plot, uh, Selena is throwing a pretty dope-ass party in her abandoned amusement park uh, home. Which is really biting uh, the Joker style in a big way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I just assume all DC villains <laughs> live in abandoned amusement parks, right? Well, and of, of all the weird stuff that happens in this movie, uh, I have to say that the thing that Audrey kept coming back to is apparently they're paying a mortgage on this abandoned yep. movie. <laughs> <laughs> they are just yeah. squatters. They have, they have bills to pay. Yeah. They're paying a mortgage, and as we see later, they keep the, the haunted house that they live in turned on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, like, it's yeah. still functioning when someone stumbles into it. So it's it's all around. It is some interesting choices for these two ladies to be making about their living space. Yeah, yeah Selena, Selena lives with Bianca, who is her, I guess, like, sidekick? Uh, major Domo? I don't know yeah. how, how I mean, to describe this character. I mean, it's kind of like, uh, you know, I don't know. It's like... Only two of the Golden Girls lived together, and they were witches. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Bianca is your mom's friend who drinks a little bit more than your mom. Right, like uh-huh. that's that's what her role is. Yes, yeah. it's the same. And they both dress pants. well, and they're a lot of fun. Yeah, yep. I mean they they're to be honest, like when I was a kid, I'm sure I did not find these scenes entertaining that are just the two of them kibitzing like middle-aged ladies but now it, they're clearly the highlight <laughs> no, they're of the, the best film. part by <laughs> far easily yeah yeah and and Faye Dunaway is not I mean you you. You would think, okay, she's just camping it up. She is, but she, there's a naturalism to her camping it up. Like yeah. it, yes. it doesn't feel like she's pushing too hard. She she knows exactly when to push hard. Power of shadow up here, but like uh-huh. here, it it's just uh, two gals sitting around having cheesecake. And yeah. <laughs> the the lighting for her yeah, is great the... too, because there's just constantly oh, like yeah. a bar of light across her eyes while the rest of her is more. They in are shadow. blasting her like she's Gloria Swanson. <laughs> yeah, it is, great. and the, there are scenes where the lens is smeared with suet. It's just you cannot <laughs> make yeah. her up. Wonderful. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, the other strange thing about their house is they're clearly in an abandoned haunted house, but they also have just like a little kitchenette off to the side <laughs> they spend yeah. a lot of time in. Then they so they're throwing this fun party with all of her. I guess she describes them as like her soldiers of the night. I'm guessing other people are interested in the occult, and they're like riding the amusement park like trains into the room <laughs> it's a lot of fun everybody's got tiki drinks but again this feels Nigel like shows up. a party out of like the ice storm though too like like there should be shag carpeting and a hi-fi going yeah oh sure and i mean it's and like nigel shows up and he mentions they saw supergirl and selena's like i don't give a shit about that i got this or but she doesn't say <laughs> as much and uh then she demonstrates her new power by letting nigel uh flirt with a woman who's drinking a tiki drink and then she is mean to the woman and transforms the garnish into a scorpion, which that's another little Easter egg for all you fans uh, out there. A scorpion bowl is a tiki okay. drink. Okay. <laughs> Again, I don't yes. know. Huh. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's more of a tiki. Uh, but yeah, this party. I do like. I do like that. That's her first like demonstration of power is just being mean to one person oh, for no reason. Before that, she uses the power of the omegahedron to turn on her car without her keys. Right. True. So oh, yeah. So there's that. She's really making the most of this thing that 
that powers an entire interdimensional city. Right. Yeah. And it's important, theoretically, that uh, the thing she's holding the Omega Hedron in, called the Coffer of Shadow, which is this giant lead gargoyle thing, is getting bigger. Again, stakes, stakes, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she's and and she's mentioned before that her that her goal is world domination. But I like that she keeps her like day to day goals pretty grounded. <laughs> <laughs> so uh we cut back to Kara. it's the next morning or early afternoon i don't know she wakes up uh she's in the woods she follows a, ch- uh, a kid to a softball game this is a very exciting part of the movie uh you have a very excited audience and my favorite character of course a big stuffed panda that is being thrown around by the enthusiastic crowd uh so, and then somebody hits a softball you know they hit a foul ball it goes uh it goes off the pitch and uh, strikes a handsome groundskeeper in the back. And normally you'd think, oh, he got hit by a stray ball. It would hurt. Nope, he does not break his stride. It just bounced right off his little back. Um, and that guy will come up later. That's Ethan, of course. That's Ellis from Die Hard, the hottest mm-hmm. man in the universe. Yeah, yep. he's, the, he's the Diet Coke time of the, of the movie where every <laughs> single woman just cannot, when he's around and his shirt is off, they just cannot focus on anything else and their brains have melted out of their ears yeah. with lust for He's him. not given much of a character to play here, but I will say he is like far more handsome than the character of Ellis from Die Hard would suggest. Yeah, it shows yeah, yeah. the power of like a lot of like glycerin sweat that makeup <laughs> artists put on him in Die Hard, how unappealing he is there compared to here. Yeah, and it you know for years the Ellis and Die Hard will be the your your go to Hart Bachner pull. Uh, but I mean I've always <laughs> yeah. for some reason <laughs> identified uh-huh. him more with this particular role. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Kara watches this. Uh, she watches uh, game. Obviously, she gets this great idea. So she transforms again. She changes her clothes and her hair. And she infiltrates this boarding school, <laughs> this boarding school that I'm assuming is associated with the softball team. They they do so much work to get her from waking up in the woods to walking to the, to the t- school. Right. And yet they do no work explaining why she decides to join the school. They're like, how is she going to find it? She's got to follow this kid to the game and then the ball to the school. It's a little Rise of Skywalker uh-huh. right there. And I, 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 artifact yep. to artifact. Get her there. Okay, now she's going to join the school. Why? We don't have time for that. We showed her We showed her see the school. We don't, this is, we don't need to reason. Yeah, and this is also one of the other scenes in the movie where you're like, okay, how much does Kara know about Earth? Because apparently she knows an, enough that she uh, takes the opportunity when the, uh, the, the dean leaves to use her super speed to type up a recommendation letter from her cousin, Clark Kent. <laughs> so, and file it properly. Yeah, and file it. Right. So she knows <laughs> yeah. that that is a necessary part of the process to get into the school. But later on, she doesn't know what a handshake is. She seems <laughs> yeah. confused by a bra later. Yeah, she's trying to, she thinks a bra is some kind of weird, but she knows the the correct format for a recommendation letter. <laughs> yeah. Someone would write their cousin to get into yeah. a, a private girl's school. Although I'm school. not sure who's paying the tuition even so. <laughs> That's another. I mean, also the fact that she, she needs a name and she's like, I'm Linda. And then she looks at a framed picture of Robert E. Lee that is on this man's wall and goes, Lee. And it's like, what kind of school is this? Like, what is yeah. This is like a Midwestern school. Yeah. Why is there a picture of Robert E. Lee on the dean's wall? Well, because the the principal is a deeply unpleasant man, just a toxic <laughs> yeah, dude who is, is angry That's at true. everything. That's very true. He and, hates his job. And his name uh, is Danvers, which is a little worrisome if you, if you know the comics, because that is the name of the family that eventually adopts Linda Lee from Midvale uh, Orphanage. Uh, so, like, I don't want this dude to be your dad because he's such a dick. 
He is a dick, but I I like that the that the performance has a little bit of layers. Yeah. Like yeah. he's 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 like an ineffectual dick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. maybe he's like maybe it's a little Easter egg that he's he's the child of Mrs. Danvers from Rebecca, and that explains <laughs> oh, why cool. he's had such a hard time of it. Yeah, yeah. Would, so uh, listeners, they're keeping track. That's one Easter egg for Elliot. Two Easter eggs for me. Uh, whoever gets the <laughs> most Easter eggs, of course, gets the Easter egg feast <laughs> I, at the end. <laughs> so, oh yeah, we, I forgot. It's, it's literally an Easter egg hunt. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, of course, the dean is interrupted by Nigel, who is the warlock from earlier. The, I guess his day job is he's a math teacher, English teacher. I don't remember. He's like uh, a he's like a math and computer sciences teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Kara decides she's going to go undercover, as already mentioned, Linda Lee. She is the cousin to Clark Kent, and she becomes roommates with Lucy Lane. That's right, the kid sister of Lois Lane. Did I get that all right? Yep. And she's got, like, mm-hmm. Lucy Lane has, like, the sideways baseball cap and, like, the sweatpants, and she's very, like, serving you Joe in Facts of Life. Very, like, might as well <laughs> yeah. have, like, a little uh, 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 slingshot out her back pocket, now, you know? That's, that's kind of the vibe she's giving off. Glenn, here. do you know if... Is Lucy Lee a character from the comics, or is invented for this movie? Nope, Lucy Lane's real. She was oh. uh, she was Jimmy Olsen's boyfriend. Absolutely. Well, she, she's as she is as real as any of these characters, Glenn. I know you've oh, been yeah. swimming in these waters <laughs> yeah, a long yeah. time. No, no, no. I'm sorry, that was my. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, no. That's and, and actually now, now it, you brought this up. She, you mentioned that she's Jimmy Olsen's girlfriend. Now, as we've already addressed, they are high school mm-hmm. kids. Mm-hmm. So, how does Lois Lane feel about a? Jimmy Olsen, who I believe is a grown man. My wife wanted to know, how does Lois Lane feel about her kid sister fucking an older guy? Well, he's a cub reporter. He's, you know, we don't know how old he is. Well, that's the other Um, thing. (laughs) Another grown man and a teenage girl. Jimmy Olsen. It was a different time, Stu. This was 1984. (laughs) It was the Cold War. People didn't know if they were going to be nuked by the Russians at any moment. They had to make the most of it. Jimmy Olsen as a character in general is kind of confusing, right? Because, like, yeah. here he's played by the same actor who was in the uh, the other Superman films, and by this point, yes, he is a clearly a, a, a full-grown adult man, so, which, which raises some troubling questions in this film. But Jimmy Olsen, the character, I'm always like, okay, like, he's a boy reporter, like, the way that, mm-hmm. like, Tintin's a boy reporter, and I have the same confusion about that. I'm like, does that mean he's just, like, a really young reporter, or is he a literal boy? And it seems like <laughs> the comics, you know, change that around a lot, so maybe that's part of my confusion, but I don't know if there's a more definitive answer about <laughs> what Jimmy Olsen is. Nope. <laughs> nope. Uh, the other thing is that, you know, Linda Lee is, I'm sorry, uh, Lucy Lane mm. is wearing a sweatshirt for the school that says MVH. It's called Midvale High. Midvale, uh-huh. I think, is one word and does not deserve a V. Mm. So I don't know what's going on there. Dan, could you put that in goofs, threefs, maybe? Yeah. yeah. When it comes for, out. For, uh, for our listeners who can't see at home, there are multiple fist marks in Glenn's uh, <laughs> drywall from all, from all these fuck ups, and it's also clearly not a high school; it's a boarding school. So yes, it's yeah. yeah. I, I, Jimmy Olsen, this I this it makes me mad that he's there. I mean, and not just because he is a grown man dating a high school student, which is horrible, yep. but uh, that also this is the continued dorkification of Jimmy Olsen who in the old comics is such a troublemaker and is always getting into like, always getting himself into into big problems than being like, Superman, bail me out of this. <laughs> and I really miss the like rascal Jimmy Olsen. And here's my theory about it. In the old comics, Jimmy Olsen wears a bow tie as a way of showing that he's like, 
a troublemaker young kid and not one of these stodgy old people wearing long ties. But by the time the like 60s and 70s rolled around, you can't change a character's clothing. That would be crazy. <laughs> but a bow tie by then means a nerdlinger. So mm-hmm. then he becomes like kind of nerdy, boring Jimmy Olsen. Uh, Glenn, does that square with your scholarship at all? Uh, well, in the 70s, he got he grew out his hair. He got a, a pantsuit, a leisure suit, oh. and uh, and big bell bottoms. So yeah, they changed him around. I think the the bow tie guy went away. Uh, in the late 60s, early 70s. Uh, but he's back now in a really great series, uh, uh, Jimmy Olsen series. It's a lot of fun that is kind of incorporating all the weirdness that used to happen to Jimmy Olsen. He got turned into a turtle man. He grew you know, 80 feet. All that stuff is back, and that's that's a really great series. Okay. Then, may- then maybe, you know what? I should apologize to Jimmy's bow tie. Thank you so much for all this time. Uh, Jimmy's bow tie. Okay, so Kara, we get some scenes of Kara and Lucy hanging out at school. Uh, Kara mainly. Prote- Kara is she's on the hunt for a for an artifact that she needs to keep her parents and the rest of the city alive. But then she's mostly using her powers to like save people from pranks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Protect, protect, protect Lucy from pranks from bullies, who I think are on their same team, right? Yeah, Aren't they wearing the same field hockey uniforms? Yeah. Well, it's like you know they're 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 all they they you can you can hate someone. Maybe maybe Lucy is a starter and they don't like her for that or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. It, in uh, Teen Wolf, you had a basketball competition between two state, two school, two teams from the same school, yeah. and that was the championship. So it really doesn't make any sense. So right around now, Selena is using uh, decides to make a love spell to ensorcel the most successful groundskeeper in the town. <laughs> uh, that's Ethan, as we've already mentioned, played by Ellis from Die Hard, and uh, she she casts a spell on him uh, by and tricks him into coming out to her uh, amusement park. But then she gets distracted and he kind of wanders off in like a fugue state <laughs> and the concern and Selena's concerned because the 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 rules of the spell will be that if the first person he lays eyes on or something uh, is who he will fall in love with. So she's like, can't have that happen. So no. she mag- she then ensorcels a construction vehicle to chase Ethan around town and bring him back to her. Go, now, Elliot. Now, Stuart, I think you're you're glossing over what's really the most important part of these scenes involving a love spell and an evil uh, evil evil bulldozer. It's more of an excavator or a digger, I guess. Which yeah. is that bef- before this happens, it's a three day weekend from school, <laughs> and Lucy is like, "Come with me, Kara," and she goes, "No, no, I'll stay here." And Lucy goes, "Okay, I'll see you later then at Popeyes." And I went, "What?" <laughs> Hold on. Does Midvale have like a local diner called Popeyes? That would be uh-huh. a coincidence, but they can't certainly be going to the greatest of all fast food franchises, Popeyes famous fried chicken and biscuits. That can't be possible. Well, lo and behold, <laughs> Carol runs into them on the street and they are in Popeyes and Jimmy makes a big show of handing out each of the items on the Popeye's menu to the people at their table. And uh-huh. I, and for this whole sequence, they're standing around this Popeye's, and I just thought, finally, a movie has seen me and is speaking yeah. to me and my mm-hmm. interest in Popeye's and that particular franchise. Do I wish it was a better superhero movie? In some ways, yes, because Popeye's <laughs> deserves a better superhero. But in some ways, no, because I kind of don't want great superhero action getting in the way of me looking at that Popeye's. So... I'm I'm torn, and this is a scene that really I, I was of two minds about it for exactly those reasons. It's also probably a better food choice for them than the diner that was advertising live lobsters. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Small town. I mean, in the in middle this of Chicago area. Yeah, in the Chicago, <laughs> the Chicago lobsters. The the Popeyes comes back because you know uh, the the crane whatever it is is chasing Ethan through the streets as he's dazed. Um, there are some actually impressive 
near misses. Um, the uh-huh. stunt people kind of seem like really talented because it, it's sometimes there was... Now, maybe they're doing that with foreshortening the perspective or something, but it seems like this this crane comes really close to people. But then when eventually, eventually, eventually... Uh, Kara decides to intervene. She watches this unfold for a yes, very long time. She does. And Lucy yes. decides to intervene before Kara does, I, which doesn't is make crazy. Any sense. <laughs> but when uh, she eventually changes into Supergirl, uh, she does so atop the Popeyes sign. She mm-hmm. straddles it like a colossus, and like that is <laughs> the money shot of the film. That uh-huh. is, like, it's it is so odd. Yeah, but she also like so she yeah she waits a long time to get involved. Then she does all that she can, like, uh, from a distance using, you know, heat vision and blowing things and whatnot. So she's not seen doing any of her super heroics. And she rescues uh, this guy and takes him off. Uh, Like, it's all like, why are you concerned about keeping this a secret? Like, this is a a place that already has a Superman. They love him. You know, they're not going to be confused by you wearing the exact same clothes and having the exact same, you know, like powers. Well, I mean, they might. Well, they'll maybe be confused, but they're not going to be like mad about it. They'll be like, oh, great. Another one. You know, like. Well, what I would say the first time she the only other time that she had encountered humans, they attempted to assault her in the street. So maybe she was like, I I need to change what I look like. So, so it's like Steve Martin in the jerk. She thinks it's she thinks it's the clothes that were the problem. Like when, when he's like, these cans. He hates these yeah. cans. Like because it is there's a lot of this movie that and you see it in a lot of action and superhero movies where they're following the form of the thing but not the function of the thing, where it's like a superhero has a secret identity, so she's got to go undercover at this school, and she can't let anyone know she's Supergirl. But the movie has given you – but in regular comics and in movies, that follows the function of I live on this planet, so I have to lead a normal life. I don't want to just be walking around in my costume all the time, and I don't want to endanger my loved ones. Whereas the Supergirl, she's just visiting. <laughs> yeah, There's right. no reason – you know, she's not sticking yeah. around. She has to leave. So, yeah, it makes no sense why she would establish another identity, why she would care if people know who she is. Like if I was her – I would have gone straight to the president and been like, I'm from another planet. I'm looking for this thing. I need you to help me. Or I guess I'll blow up Mount Rushmore yeah. or something. Look, I just need your help. Like, there's no reason for her not to or go on TV and be like, hey, I'm Supergirl. I know who Superman is. Uh, go find this thing for me and I'll tell you. Like, it's, you know, <laughs> there's no reason. I mean, even if she does yeah. want a secret identity, like, helping out in the situation is not going to endanger that. Like, when she's uh, Linda Lee, she's a brunette. And when she's Supergirl, she's blonde. No one can see through that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a, it's impossible. People never change their hair color, or else no one would ever recognize them. Yeah, yeah uh, and the whole the whole primary colored costume thing would seem to work against. I need to disguise myself by kicking up some hay. It seems like you need to pick a lane <laughs> there. <laughs> yeah, well, but I think I think it must it must hit her with so much guilt that Lucy Lane, an ordinary teenager, jumps into the cab of this out of control construction equipment <laughs> mm-hmm. to save a man while she's just standing off to the side watching. Like, unless it's one of those things. I always wondered this about Superman. There's the scene in uh, Superman Returns, I think it is, where he stops a bank robbery, and those guys have that huge like artillery gun mm-hmm. that they're firing at him. And I was always like, why does Superman care about property laws? He's so powerful. Like, why does he really care about the bank's problem? So you would think he would be spending all of his time stopping runaway volcanoes and yeah. things like that. But So with Supergirl, maybe she, she is such a godlike being that she looks down on this, and she's like, huh, that handsome man's being chased by that excavator. This amuses yeah. me. I'll see what happens. He's, uh-huh. He is but yeah. an ant to me. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, she saves him anyway. Uh, she tears off the the what the shovel part of the construction vehicle that is carrying. Uh, I Ethan. think it's called a maw. I think <laughs> yeah, it's the, the maw. Term. Yep. And uh, she uh, whisks him away and uh, quickly changes back to her, what, Linda? Lucy? Mm-hmm. Linda? Linda Lee mm-hmm. per, uh, what, persona? What they, 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 both characters have double L names, and they make a joke about this uh-huh. earlier where the dean is, like, confused, and it's like they never, never occurred to them that the film goer might also be confused <laughs> by the names yeah. that sound almost identical. Yeah, you know? and, and we, we hear him, now that he's in love, we hear him, like, uh, pitch a little woo, and the thing about this guy under this uh, love spell is suddenly he starts reciting, like, poetry to her. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it, 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 you know, it, it sparked a few questions in my mind. I mean, mostly, did he know poetry before and now he's just <laughs> in love and he has poetry? Or, like, does this somehow, the spell somehow switch his personality over to a yeah. guy who, like... Uh, says a lot of poetry and also the other Looney thing Looney Tune rules love <laughs> love is represented by either poetry or him acting kind of dumb him like being like where's Linda I love Linda I, mean, I gotta get love back does to make Linda people dumb. yeah yeah but I am my my, the, my primary mode of expressing love isn't like I have to get back to Audrey where is Audrey <laughs> <laughs> yeah a real real poochie type yeah. thing uh-huh. where's poochie what's going on the, there's a his personality change during this love spell is was so baffling because the first time we see him, he's like, yeah, I don't know. Hey, I don't like talking about myself to Selena. Very much more the type of guy I would imagine who would try to date a high school student. And then he turns <laughs> into he turns into like this kind of intellectual Ethan. Yeah. And it, it, it yeah. But then after the spell wears off, he still is suddenly this smarter guy. So I don't know. I yeah. don't know what they were going for. Unlike everything else in the movie, which is. Just crackerjack plotting and, and there's super, probably super there, yeah there's controlled. probably a flowers for Algernon moment uh, after the movie when he he loses it. I will have, he looks at his mouse, which has fallen in love with another mouse, and it's like, I'm <laughs> yep, sorry, that's Algernon. What I meant. That's what I meant. <laughs> oh, uh, okay. Well, that's that's fun. So, uh, uh, Selena and Bianca not into this, so they decide to put a curse on Kara. Uh, always um, hating on the woman, not the man. Absolutely, and. Uh, and, and um, Selena says, what good is a sword if it's not unleashed? And it's like, that's not mm-hmm. what you do with a sword. No, oh, it's my second favorite line in the movie after, of course, I'll see you later then at Popeye's. But the, <laughs> Popeye's. But yeah, now she's, she says, a sword unleashed. And yeah, it's just like, what, what do you think? How, what do you think these words mean? Yeah. I think yeah. the line was probably unsheathed and she just got it wrong. That's, that's, that's my working theory. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. but it, it doesn't make any sense. So, so they uh, they unleash uh, a, kind of like an invisible force thing, kind of like what I'd imagine the thing from uh, Evil Dead Two that's always chasing people around looks like. Mm-hmm. It basically mm-hmm. causes a lot of wind and stuff flies all over the place. And Kara uh, uses a stick and electricity and and defeats it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I well, it's like, like a light, this... it's like a lamp pole. Yeah, she takes yeah, a straight lamp and she flies stick. up into the clouds. It is a stick. I, I like that. I like the her pose as she's carrying the stick up into the into the lightning she turns it into a lightning rod and brings it back down and the effect is that very forbidden planet cartoon mm-hmm. lightning thing that it seems like for a long time that's all we could do with lightning in movies is, is to just kind yeah. of do that fakey fake uh forbidden planet effect but before that um they are monitoring uh, this whole situation uh bianca and selena with a mirror that does not provide sound and 
you are reminded of when this film is set by terms of uh, uh, by epithets thrown by these characters: Dingleberry, Space Cadet, on the on the case of uh, Lucy Lane, and here, where's the wimp? <laughs> and the spin that Faye Dunaway puts on the word wimp, it's like it does not have the letter I. It is just yeah. wimp. Where's the wimp? As, as, she is n- as if she's never heard the word before. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, so, of course, uh, oh, man, I, I got, oh, no. oh yeah. So, Carl. Well, this, so, this, this, oh, I should I mentioned this magic mirror uh, must have been a huge influence on Tim Burton when he made the first Batman movie, since so much of that consists of Joker watching television and getting mad at the things Batman is doing on TV. <laughs> So Kara notices that the uh, that this whole interaction causes a little bit of a reaction with her uh, magical bracelet that uh, I guess she's using to track the Omega Hedron. In theory, uh, so yeah, in theory. So she follows <laughs> she follows the kind of vibes from the Omega Hedron to Selena's hideout. Uh, right before uh, right before she decides to or tries to confront Selena, Ethan shows up. He's sick with love for this teenager. Now and he, she propo- flew he proposes there, right? to her. <laughs> yeah. She flew there. So did he also fly there or is he been <laughs> hanging around an abandoned amusement park hoping that that this girl from a school that's I guess across town would show up? Yeah, that's some alpha level moves. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is also one of the places in his uh love sickness that where he just comes across like his lo- his version of playing love is just sort of like sort of be like kind of I don't know diffident and like sort of like here come please please sit with <laughs> yes. me please yes. take a ride please please yes <laughs> yeah and he and he proposes to her uh which is uh, moving, odd, moving okay, fast. whatever yeah yeah moving fast but whatever um then selena shows up and she is not having it so she and Kara have a little showdown that features bumper cars heavily <laughs> and no what those selena bumper cars some- are e- and those bumper cars are in the shape of three football players. So they yeah. are the most—they are the most amazingly detailed bumper car sculpts that yeah. I've ever seen. And I gotta say, and Selena also has this move where she like creates a whole bunch of mirror images of herself. It's pretty great. This- That's the only other thing. The only other thing I remembered about this movie from when I was a kid was that—that that effect, which still looks really cool to me, where she turns into a bunch of kind of shimmering half half-translucent Selena's. That and the fact that she had a skull painted on her door. Only things I remembered from when I was a kid about this Yeah, movie. no, this sequence, I think, looks is fun and genuinely looks kind of cool. Like, I lo- like, you know, you got to forget the fact that, uh, you know, being hit by a bumper car, while certainly would probably hurt, is not the uh, mortal yeah. danger this movie tries to make it out to be. <laughs> I mean, that it's literally the, the point of bumper cars is to be hit yeah. by the other cars. Or, you know, you got to ignore, like, you know, Supergirl throwing a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of like uh, metal bars in fast motion to p- create a uh, like a fence around a, a cage around Selena is not maybe the most mm-hmm. effective thing that Supergirl could do with all of her powers to subdue her. But great. It's a great like, you know, comic booky thing. Yeah, she had to do it to inspire the same thing to happen in Spider-Man 3 with Venom. <laughs> remember? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not like Selena's powers are based on her being able to like. Like if they put her in a cage, she's still going to be able to do magic shit, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, she I, maybe she needs to make really big hand gestures, and she just can't quite get yeah. the the, the yeah. wingspan that she needs. Now, I always love the uh, fakey fake language that uh, movies and television come up for come up with for for magic, and uh, here uh, Faye Dunaway memorably delivers the line "sikarika faka 
Scoo. And I would argue that Scoo <laughs> is where that whole thing yeah. takes a dive. Like, I'm, I'm with you <laughs> up at Sigurukad Fakar, but like, the Scoo just doesn't have the juice yeah. it needs to have. No. Uh, it's, it, the rest could be some kind of ancient Latin-y type language, but yep. Scoo. <laughs> Pl- <laughs> plenty of uh, uh, apostrophes, you know, in there somewhere, mm-hmm. but not in Scoo. Nope. That's a, it reminds me of a, an old, there's an old Jack Benny show where I forget the name of the guy he had who would like sing. The, he had a male singer on who was part of the cast and who would sing songs. Where he sings "Bibbidi Bobbidi Boo" because I guess Cinderella had just come out. And hearing a grown man singing that song, it's like, oh, this song is nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> this song yeah. doesn't make. This song is just made it crazy, made up words. And that that was the <laughs> feeling I had here with with the, with her magic. So Ethan is in danger. So Kara picks him up in the bumper car and takes him to a beach somewhere where he is promptly knocked out with a coconut to the head. <laughs> that is not a joke. Now, Dan McCoy that, wrote this scene. Is, Selena sends that coconut. Yeah. It's not like it's a random coconut. Yeah. I love it too because she's what? like, she's like, that should keep her busy for a while or something like that. And it's just like, that's your plan? <laughs> yeah, we gotta hit her, hit her boyfriend with a coconut. Yeah, so they're watching. Uh, Selena, Bianca, and then Nigel are all watching this on through the mirror. Nigel breaks the love spell by cracking open a nut and flicking out a spider. Uh, <laughs> Not a euphemism. And e- yeah, yeah. Ethan and uh, and Supergirl get in this conversation. They argue, uh, but it isn't until they kiss. Or wait, is it? Uh, is this when they kiss and e- uh, Ethan realizes that Linda is Supergirl and Supergirl's Linda? Something like that. Yeah, somewhere uh, around. That happens. Maybe that happens yeah, later. I, no, no. I think that happens around here because there's no other. After this, it's just nonstop action and Phantom Zone stuff. So I think this, I wouldn't call I think it that nonstop right action. But sure. yeah. <laughs> well, well, uh, start and stop action. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think so, that's when Ethan gets whisked away because uh, Nigel is using the Burundi wand, uh, which is pure, unadulterated evil. And like okay. naming your evil wand after an entire country. I mean, like we, we don't do that anymore. We like yeah, it's, it's, we don't, it's not nice. It's not the Spanish flu. We don't, we're not using Spanish flu anymore. So like, can we just? Ugh, it was not yeah, a good look. So he and they <laughs> and they take him away. He like literally just teleports to a bed where he is chained up. Yummy, yummy. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's also, the, there's uh, also something funny about being like. This object that I got is all powerful. I can control the world with it. The whole plot of the movie hinges on it. Nigel being like, I got this thing too. It's pretty powerful. I can do stuff with it. It's like, why are you introducing new magic, Nigel? Like, what are you, come on, what are you doing? Yeah, what is this, a Christopher Nolan movie? We don't have to keep introducing new shit. Uh, what is this, Cats? Come on. We have our characters. Let's, let's see a plot already. Yeah, so I do love that this, like, I do love how much this world domination plot still revolves around Selena capturing Ethan. <laughs> like, that's, like, the whole world's your oyster, but whatever. Yeah, It he's just great. sticks in her craw that, that Ethan is in love with no, this other that, person now. That makes perfect sense. Well, let's, I mean, uh, hold on. Let's, let's back up and take a little examination of that, because, like, uh, uh, not to get on a high horse, but I feel like this movie does have, like, some of that uh, Catwoman issue, where, like, you know, the Halle Berry Catwoman, they're like, Okay, this is going to be a female-led superhero movie, so clearly the bad guy has to be Sharon Stone, evil cosmetics manufacturer. <laughs> so, and here in Supergirl, it's not quite as egregious as that, but it does feel like, okay, you know, we've got this female-led superhero movie, great, 
we're going to put a female villain in. Sure. I understand that decision with that. Like, and now what we're going to do with that is, uh, in addition to the villain wanting world domination, there's got to be a love triangle between <laughs> like, they have to both like the you, same man, you know? And like, there's, it, it, it would be weird if Clark Kent and Lex Luthor were trying to date the same person. And that's what the movie was about. Yeah. yeah I guess. I mean, like it, it, <laughs> It is a little fun to, like, put him in the traditional, like, damsel in distress role. I'm not going to say, like, there's not, like, a little joy in the silliness of, of like, all of uh-huh. it. Like, like let's let's really do this. Let's, let's, like, reverse everything. Let's make him, like, almost a non-character the way that, unfortunately, many girlfriend characters are in movies. But it also feels like you don't need it, man. <laughs> like, you're making adjustments <laughs> that aren't necessary here. And it's, it's kind of fucked up that this character, that the Ethan character... Up until that point, was like magically coerced to be interested in Supergirl. Yeah, mm-hmm. like I think she even kisses him before the spell breaks. Maybe it's kind of fucked up. Yep. Well, I don't. But she, I mean, she doesn't know that he's under a love spell. I think, but it is weird that we, the audience, know that. Certainly. Well, also, I yeah. feel like there are other like elements that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can track all of the choices that led to like one big like sort of problematic result, you know because it does feel like okay we're gonna cast Faye Dunaway in this because you know if we're gonna do a female-led superhero movie why not give a a, a, a woman also have the chance to really bite into a, a villain role and like let's also have her be like the the big name of like the main cast you know Peter O'Toole is mm. a glorified cameo let's make like she's like the well the, she well, is they're the, very much following that they're they're following the Superman the movie thing of you have a Kryptonian that's a big name you got a villain that's a big name so you can have a newcomer who is the the hero yes mm-hmm. but the result of this is like the 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 idea that like okay we're gonna have Faye Dunaway um, this middle aged actor in a love triangle with this uh, other actor who's supposed to be very young <laughs> over this man kind of makes it feel like the movie's like. Kick it to the curb, old lady. Oh, old witch lady. Your middle-aged sexuality. Fuck that. Supergirl's here. Like, and I know that I I'm so. reading a lot into it, it at this a... point, but it is like you, you make all of these small decisions and then an unintended consequence comes out. Yeah, yeah. I don't know Very that it's TikTok-based that un- consequence. Yeah. I don't know that it's that unintended a consequence. That's I think true. you're giving them more credit than they deserve, but I will say the math works out. The gardener is roughly the median age between Carol <laughs> and Faye Dunaway. It works. The math works. Yeah. yeah, and the character of Supergirl, I mean, like, there is some empowering messages in this film that completely get undercut by the climax, and we'll talk about it when we get there, but the character of Supergirl has always been geared toward uh, girls. Um, from the jump, she was there to accompany, you know, Superman, and her entanglements were always more emotional and romantic than physical, just because, you know, romance comics were going out of style mm-hmm. and they wanted to hold on to women, so they introduced a lot of female versions of male characters who uh, usually didn't have a lot of personality, but, you know, they made up for not having a lot of definable personality the way they made up for the fact that per- Superman didn't have a definable personality, surround him with a lot of weird shit. And so they just surrounded her with the super horse who also was in love with her and all all these romantic entanglements. So when people, when the Supergirl series on the CW came out and people were complaining that it's like, it's so female and soft and why can't she just be a badass? It's because that's, that's in the DNA of the character. And all the conflicts in this film 
yeah. are not really physical. They're, they are emotional, and the climax of the film is Supergirl telling Selena she doesn't have any friends, which is just, <laughs> just, just mean girls. It's just, it's like, it's... I mean, the, the fact that it's the same climax as the Muppet movie? Yeah, yeah it's, a little, it's, it's a little strange. It's a little bit strange. Yeah. But I, th- I would say I, that's... You raise a good point, and Dan, you raise a good point, and I'm going to not argue against it exactly, but say that, like, there is something... They do it badly here, but there's something a little refreshing to me almost in the return to that that what is a misogynist traditional thing when it's done poorly that like i i get tired of female heroes where it's like she's just like a male hero and just as tough as a male hero and just does everything the male hero would but she's got a vagina instead of a penis yeah it's like there is something to having a a female hero who who takes on who has strength from feminine characteristics, but again, they do it poorly. No, I I, I agree with you. I was I, I I didn't say it, but meant to that. Like, you can give them credit for like trying to not just being like, okay, we're gonna do a Superman movie, but with a female lead. Like, like they do. It's clear that they thought about like, okay, how does this change the movie, and don't just map it on and be like. But at the same time, yes, they do it badly is the problem. But they do it badly. They don't I think mean, it and, through. And the thing is, at the time this movie came out, 1984, like to do a Superman movie but with a female lead doing all this Superman stuff would have been a new and exciting yeah. thing. Like that, it would have been Aliens to a certain extent. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and it's tough. It's tough to do um, female characters who aren't going to spend their entire time punching people because like with, with Wonder Woman, sh- that's a contradiction in terms. Like she is a warrior for peace, right? She, yeah. she fights so that people won't fight anymore. Mm-hmm. So the way you get around that, because again, all the stuff that's essential to uh, Wonder Woman is that she works through compassion and truth and love. It's very gender essentialist. So the way you get around that is the way you do it in the first female, uh, the first Wonder Woman film where she shows up with a rocking badass soundtrack and she kicks ass. Uh, that's, yeah. that's a way you kind of get pet. You, you incorporate what's essential about the character without making it so sexist and essentialist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Anyway. I think, I think and it all, it, like you're saying, I think it, it comes from, like, strong character. Yeah. You know, rather than, like, <laughs> trying to check a box off, you know. Strong and she has no character. character. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, clearly, so not- clearly uh, we four men, three of whom are straight, <laughs> are the best people to unpack <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all of this. But, uh yeah, of course. Uh, so now that Selena has captured Ethan, she again betrays Nigel and then magics up a fortress, a mountain fortress in the middle of town, uh, which everybody seems quite perplexed by. So yeah, Kara yeah. shows up to save <laughs> right, the rightfully, day. Rightfully, she decides that her world domination will begin in Midvale, and that will yes. be the new center of power for the planet. <laughs> and it also again, it's like. It, she doesn't seem that interested in the actual world domination part. I feel like that's a drag. Like she just wants to do whatever she wants at the moment. Like I don't and know. by yeah. the way, when much like cert, much like certain former presidents, she does not sure. want to be in charge. She just wants to be have permission to do whatever. Yeah. When Kara flies back to Midvale, by the way, she like flies over like New York City. I think like it takes a long time. I'm just like, how far did you fly the dude away to take yeah. him to safety? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You gotta get that bumper car out of there. <laughs> <laughs> so she flies back. Uh, she sees this beautiful palace, which I honestly have to say, I, I kind of miss the abandoned amusement amusement yeah. park hideout, mm-hmm. but that's okay. So we have this uh, we have this fortress, and uh, Ethan is chained up, and then she immediately is trapped in a prism and flipped off into the Phantom Zone. Now, is she trapped in the Phantom Zone, or is she ju- is that? Simon using 
uh, is that diamond just transporting her to the Phantom Zone? Bit of a contradiction in the canon here, because in <laughs> Superman 2 and Superman 1, the Phantom Zone is that swirly little diamond. Yeah. But here, it's just like the jitney to the Phantom Zone. Yeah. And it's like, well, which which is it? Because, I mean, otherwise, like... Are we saying that the three super uh, three Superman villains never made it to the Phantom Zone because they missed their target? <laughs> I was also confused. Like as soon as she arrives, like that thing shatters and she falls out on the ground. I'm like, if that is just a transport, is that the way it works? Is it just like two pieces of glass that are pressed together yeah. and with like a Supergirl sandwich? <laughs> like, yep. <laughs> yeah. uh, the uh, I, the I imagine it it was a it was a poor Charlie type situation where. Uh, for the for the Phantom Zone criminals, where they did not have a, they didn't have the right toll on them to get off, so they right. just have to ride back and forth between oh. Krypton and, and the Phantom Zone <laughs> wow. for all eternity. Will so they she ever ran... returned? They never returned. Here's the thing: <laughs> the Phantom Zone stuff when she first appears in it, her just walking through this like blasted wasteland with uh-huh. her costume on and the lighting yeah. kind of like that whole sequence until she has to crawl through mud, which was gross for them to do that to the character that whole sequence works uh-huh. really well for me as like she's at the lowest ebb and now she's in a place that her her natural inborn abilities of optimism and and uh kind of gooey angelic naivete don't work here anymore so this this is a visual that works really well for me yeah i agree yeah, with you Elliot, except there's a lot of it uh yeah. there's, a, there's a lot yeah. she's way. wandering for a long time well yeah. and, and, if, and if there was such a thing as a verbal macro <laughs> This goes on for a while would be something we'd be using a lot in this movie. <laughs> yeah, and then Peter O'Toole shows up, and like this is the only time I think in film going history where I've been like, "Ugh, Peter O'Toole's back," because because I know that like, well, like this is like the fun part of the movie is like the the you know the more campy stuff with uh, Faye Dunaway just like sort of hanging around being evil and then like Peter O'Toole stuck in the Phantom Zone and I'm like okay well this is just like a complication we got to get through and and again he's he's kind of like he's broken and seemingly drunk and he keeps saying squirt over and over which again is a Dr Pepper product just oh. like AMW oh, Easter egg it's like Stuart racked up another one oh man. Oh, man, I got a whole a barrel. Egg salad for it weeks. Seems like, it seems like saying squirt and stuff that Peter O'Toole is working so hard to make us, make us the audience, think that Peter O'Toole, the actor, does not know what it's like to be a drunk alcoholic. And we're like, Peter, just be, be you know you can do this. Yeah. He's trying so hard to do like a, a non-alcoholics version of someone who's drunk. You know? There are yeah. moments, even though I love these movies, superhero movies and all this kind of stuff, there are moments when a really world-class actor like Peter O'Toole is reduced to going squirt squirt that mm-hmm. it's like when in uh i think it was winter soldier where robert redford says hell hydra and it's like oh don't 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 please uh-huh. just leave it to it's like it's like you'll remember this when you're playing with your uh migo uh bat cave action figures and mm-hmm. uh your dad who's been trying to get you out in the yard to throw the old pigskin around but has mm-hmm. just not been able to do it and he comes in and he gives up so he, he gets down on his knees and he picks up uh, one of your action figures and goes so which doll is this is this spider boy <laughs> and you're like it's no I don't don't it, patronize me I don't need you here uh-huh. you just go out you just go it's it's and also A they're, they're action figures not dolls and B there's no such thing as spider boy and C I can tell you didn't say the hyphen there's a hyphen in spider boy it doesn't exist but there would be and I can tell you didn't know you're like, Dad, it was a very deliberate choice that Stan named him Spider-Man and not Spider-Boy. <laughs> exactly. They, uh, they, but do my, you know what the, I mean? It's just, it's beneath him. Oh, yeah. You know, it's the having to, it's, it's, it's like watching someone make a movie in a language they don't really speak. And they're yeah. doing it phonetically. And it, they can't pull it off as well as Antonio Banderas and the Mambo Kings. And it just doesn't <laughs> come across. But the flip side of that is my favorite thing about 
everyone having to be in superhero movies now, which is then the behind-the-scenes interviews where an actor who clearly does not give a shit about the X-Men has to talk about the meaning of the New Mutants or whatever and, like, why why uh, yeah. why Magneto is the heart of uh, of militant rebellion, you know, against yeah. oppression or something. Like, I do love ha- having them, seeing them being forced to, like, take material seriously that they do not care about. Whereas, like, when you... Uh, it feels like there's no other type of movie where there's an assumption on the part of the audience that the people making it should love and understand every aspect of the thing that they're doing. Like, what Tom Cruise, when he made The Firm, he wasn't like, uh, well, yeah, of course I love John Grisham's <laughs> novels. All of them. I've always been a big Grish head, you know, ever yeah. since I was a kid. No, but yeah, yeah to, see, to see Peter O'Toole kind of, and, and all of them kind of like having to, it, yeah, it feels like they're they're in a, they're, they're swimming through a culture that they don't, Really well, understand. I mean, like, at, the, at, its, at its worst, this movie like feels like whoever you know, like all was involved in this or that part of the of making the movie is like comics are dumb. Like we're holding ourselves above. Like let's not make a comic book movie. Let's make this other movie that we want to make. Like at, at its worst, that you you feel a little that coming through. At its best, all the stuff that doesn't feel like it should be in there does feel like it should be in there because it's like so weird which is what comics are and like the fact that it feels like this like cultural stew of like what people thought you wanted to see in a comic book movie maybe wasn't what comics fans but what people thought like what could be more comic books than like i don't know chasing like whatever weird cultural fad is in the air at that time so mm-hmm. i don't know it really makes you realize how good judy dench is that she makes a lot of Stuff that I'm sure she doesn't care. I'm sure she doesn't care about the Riddick canon, but <laughs> right. but she's so she always sounds or like in Artemis mm. Fowl or whatever. But she always kind of sounds like she she cares about it. I don't know. Yeah. She's really good when in Artemis Fowl when she goes top of the morning to you as <laughs> as part of the Leprechaun Police Force. I'm like mm, yeah, in another in another actor's hands that would not have come off as believable. <laughs> yeah, and Glenn Close in Guardians saying fire the Necroblasters. I mean you know I'm always gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna be well, there was there was a part in um. Oh, who is it in uh, in the last Mission Impossible movie? Who's the? Why am I forgetting her name? Is it Angela Bassett? Uh, who's the? I forgot yeah. who's the like. Is it? Where, there's a part where she's like, she's like, they've gotten a hold of the of the hydrogen bombs or whatever. Like you have to get those warheads. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's what I wanted to see. I want to see her talking about this stuff as if it matters. Like, yeah. So back on Earth, Selena uh, Selena takes Jimmy Olsen, Lucy, and Nigel all captive and puts them in little cages in her in her lair. Yeah, but before and she does that, Stu, she she rides through town in the saddest motorcade, <laughs> the tiniest motorcade. Oh, yeah. It's not even a motorcade; it's a it's a car with some motorcycles next to it. It's, yeah, it's, uh-huh. and the, it's, and the and teens they, think they can stop her by protesting. <laughs> they're, they're protesting yeah. her already. There is yeah. a all, she's within she's just created that mountain. Like minutes before, and already there's like she has a secret police force and a vintage car that she drives around in, and yeah. the teens have made posters to protest with. They should have Although, hired fewer protesters and a lot more cars just to give it a little yeah. bit more. Yeah. But uh, but in addition to their fortress upgrade, they also my notes also point out that Selena and Bianca both look incredible now. Like yeah. they their their wardrobes have gotten an upgrade. Yep. Oh, yeah. And their shoulder pads. Yep. Yeah, uh, the, it, the, with the motorcade, it's almost like they had a certain number of cars and they crashed them during the the construction equipment on the rampage <laughs> sequence. And they're like, "Why did we do that? We, need, we needed another car for this." 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Kara and Zoltar hatch a plan to escape the Phantom Zone. I think she gives him uh, she gives him some confidence, and they decide to sneak around a whirlwind <laughs> by crawling <laughs> along a cliff. Uh, and then Selena starts shooting fireballs yeah. at them, <laughs> and and Zoltar makes the ultimate sacrifice and get gets whisked away in the whirlwind. Yeah. And, and I'm not totally uh, sure how that helps anybody. I don't know. It just his way of getting out of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't. I mean, look, you know, fifty percent of them don't make it. So I, I'm not saying that's nothing, but it also doesn't seem to be <laughs> as hard to get out of the Phantom Zone as advertised. Yeah. <laughs> And Slater so, gets a chance to do some acting here. Yeah. She's trying to convince uh, O'Toole to, you know, get out of the Phantom Zone. She gets to be uh, defiant, which she hasn't had much to do. She's just been around being sympathetic, and now she gets to do uh, to be angry and and um, resolute, which is which is good to see. Yeah. Yeah, she tries to inspire him and, like, wake him from his drunken uh, reverie or whatever, right? Now, uh, Glenn, is Zoltar a character from the comics? Nope. Or is that in... Because his name sounds like, you're saying, like a grown-up's idea of what a Kryptonian <laughs> name would sound like. Well, like, I mean, I think, canonically, that there's some, like, hyphen er or hyphen L or, like, you know, the single name stuff. I, I don't... I mean, Zod, sure, but he was General Zod, so... Anyway, I don't have a definitive answer for you. <laughs> okay, it just seems like, because it, it does seem like one of those, like we were just talking about, forcing the actors to say nonsense for her to have to be like, Zoltar! And it's like, <laughs> yep. you could have given him a name that sounded yeah. more like a name. Go on, girl, you can! <laughs> <laughs> so Kara returns to the fortress to stop Selena. She is out of the Phantom Zone, and she wants to save her friends. They battle, and this is pretty exciting, because Selena is using the power of that Omega Hedron to summon up the power of shadow and we get a giant monster we get a floor that seems <laughs> shaking and there's lava underneath uh and then the 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 giant shadow monster even picks up Kara and needs her like a piece of dough <laughs> which they which they show us by they are literally distorting the video image of Kara which mm -hmm. if this was there's something like if it was, that's one of those things where it was like in the right context. If this was a, like a videodrome type thing where it was like, yeah. the new flesh is the broadcast image. When I destroy this image, it destroys you. I'd be like, that's a cool effect, but here it just yeah. looks so goofy. Yeah. yeah this is one of the moments where I'm like, this has got to look amazing on Blu ray, Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised. <laughs> uh, this is the moment when a Supergirl tells her that she has no friends and that. Daryl wants his sweater back, and nobody likes you, and <laughs> and uh, nobody's going to ask you to prom. It's just, it's, ugh, it's, and this is also the point where um, she gets saved by not one, but by two dudes. First, Ethan covers up the Omega Hedron in the lead coffer of shadow, uh, which cuts mm -hmm. off Selena's power, and then she hears Zoltar telling her to, you can, um, and it would be great if it was just something she did herself, you know? Yeah, and it's also one of those things that is just a nonsense movie thing where it's like, well, I don't have the strength to fight anymore. Oh, I got some words of encouragement. Now I feel better. <laughs> like, it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> Usually I would have to have the villain anger me to the point where I would tap into my rage bonus. Yeah, but... uh -huh. yeah and do the like Hulkamania, like heavy breathing thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where you're like, oh now, shit, you're done now, kid. Now, something I've noticed in a lot of movies in general, but especially movies from this time, is that the movie seems to get cheaper as it goes on. Mm. So like, yeah. they clearly spent a lot of money on Argo City and the early flying effects. And then by the end of it, they're like, yeah, just get a puppet monster and just kind of 
have have to solve it in there, like whatever. And do you think this was a matter of them like not thinking the audience would necessarily sit through the whole movie? So you better keep them entertained with big production yeah. effects. Because usually when you tell a story, you kind of want it to amp up so that it, like, the ending is the biggest thing. But I wonder if they're just like, hey, if we got them by this point, whatever, the movie's almost over. Just get them Can't the hell get out a of here. You just now. have to hold on to them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Too late, suckers. Once you sit through the shadow monster puppet, you cannot get a refund. Read the fine print on the back of the ticket. Well, they didn't have uh, access to CGI, so they couldn't make these kind of superhero movies that just devolve into complete CGI nonsense in the last act. <laughs> they, they had to do. They had to just take a, a Muppet and a yeah. fog machine and, and, and some litter. Nonsense. Now you made <laughs> yep. it sound heroic. It's, it's, yeah. I will say though. Uh, uh, if you watch WandaVision, they're really experimenting. They're using red glowy stuff now instead of just blue glowy stuff in the Marvel movies. So, so uh, yeah, so Kara creates some kind of like a whirlwind thing that uh, turns the shadow monster onto Selena, and then they both get sucked into the mirror at the end. Yeah, Bianca yeah, right, got a raw exactly. deal here. Yeah, Bianca, I mean, like, Bianca yeah. was reluctant throughout she was trying to be the voice of reason now maybe the movie is saying you know if you uh if you go along with it you, you get you deserve exactly the punishment that uh yeah that uh the main villain does but it just seemed like oh i just she, yeah. i don't think yeah. bianca deserved that and bianca in some ways yes but she's really playing the kind of kind of good german role in this where it's yeah, like mm, it. you're just standing by all it takes it for for evil to to win is for Bianca to do nothing, and that's what she's doing for most of the movie. Yep. You, know. you got to enjoy that motorcade. So you deserve this. This is the payment. Mm, someone's been eating all of the cake and Snackwell's cookies that I assume Selena has been whipping up with her magic when you've been off, off screen. Uh, yeah, but I mean that is basically the end. I mean she says goodbye to her uh, gentleman friend and flies back off to the city, which uh-huh. you know I mean great. And flying back to the city, you mean she flies directly into the river and then arrives home and the, the, the dark city gets bright again. That's Rufus right. Sewell's dark city? Dark city with Rufus Sewell. <laughs> Alex Proyas movie? Yeah. Um, okay. It's all the same so movie, it. Dan. It's all the, Those are just different details about Dark City, okay. the movie. So that was a, that was a, a, a long discussion of what happened in Supergirl because there's a lot to talk yeah, about there's a lot to talk about and it's over two hours yeah long. it is yeah yeah not it was originally be. it was originally two hours and 25 minutes so good lord oh I can't boy imagine. sure uh yeah so let's was not, there an intermission uh, waste... in your version Glenn was there an intermission somewhere in there <laughs> no. No, but there there was the whole scene in uh, Midvale High that, that that is a de facto uh, intermission because okay. uh, you can get up and leave and miss all yeah. that I guess what you were all saying is not a wasted second this thing is lean no. they cut that fat <laughs> yep. to the bone in this movie uh. everything has a reason for being in there uh, uh, um yeah let's go right into final judgments whether it's a good bad movie a bad bad movie or a movie you kind of liked, you know, I don't know. It straddles bad, bad. I mean, I guess it's bad, bad. Like there, there's like stuff I kind of like in there, too. Or sorry, not bad, bad. Sorry, it straddles good, bad movie you kind of like. Like it is a lot of fun to watch. It is uh, goofy, and Faye Dunaway, and uh, <laughs> oh, I forget the uh, the other one's the name. The actor who did Brenda Vaccaro. Um, yeah, but I mean the uh, the three baddies are all fun. Oh yeah, Peter Cook. Peter Cook and well, no, I met the uh, the woman, uh, but I can't remember oh, right. her name. Uh, anyway, Brenda it doesn't matter. The okay. three baddies, they're all great, as long as <laughs> Brenda Vaccaro. Brenda Vaccaro, yeah, yeah. As long as it's all focused on them and they're doing stuff, 
I enjoy it. I like the silly uh, old eighties effects that are actually pretty good in a few places, uh, and then mm-hmm. sometimes not. Um, and you know, comics don't uh, comic book movies don't all have to be the Dark Knight. I don't want them to all be the Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. I like a lot of uh, weird stuff too, and this is a weird movie. So I don't know. I, I liked it okay. Stuart, you, you look like you got feelings. Yeah, yeah. It's I would say this is definitely a solid good bad movie. It's goofy. Uh, there's parts of it that I kind of like, uh, and I do like how, despite being two hours long, they clearly spend no time explaining <laughs> what is going on for the first twenty yeah. minutes, which is great. Uh, and yeah, some of those scenes are pretty fun. So it's and it's a fun, goofy superhero movie to laugh laugh with your friends over. Yeah, I'd call it a good bad movie. Watch it with your friends. On the other hand. It does have a scene set at Popeyes, so I guess I have to name it Best Picture. Sorry, Amadeus. This yeah. is Supergirl's year. <laughs> and it's, for me, it's a movie I gotta like. I mean, obviously, yeah. uh, for all the reasons we've enumerated, uh, especially Faye Dunaway's performance, which really rides yeah. a very difficult line and kind of, uh, even when she devolves into the Fakascu of it all, uh, she's still... She's still Faye Dunaway, and uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. She's she's great. I'm going to take this moment to do something we've done a few times in the Flophouse, which is take a dump on the Razzie Awards, yeah. which nominated uh, Faye Dunaway for Worst Actress for the movie. And Faye Dunaway is doing exactly what this movie needs her to do, and mm-hmm. she's doing it really well. And like, it's a it's a really fun like it's a really fun performance. It's exactly the right performance for this movie. And the Razzies can suck it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we we live in a, a magical world where there's such a thing as fast-forwarding. So you can... <laughs> I mean, this is... I, I, I cannot bear the mid-bell high stuff. It just goes on forever. So, uh-huh. like, you, you, you excise that stuff, and this is a tight... Uh, really fun little movie. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, there is no reason you have to sit. That, I, you've just kind of unlocked, I feel like, a cheat code to bad movies. I, there's no reason you have to sit through the whole thing. Yep. Like, yeah. no one's going to catch you. Yeah. Hey, kid. Your dad tell you about the time he broke Stephen Dorff's nose at the Kids' Choice Awards? <laughs> In Dead Pilot Society, scripts that were developed by studios and networks but were never produced are given the table reads they deserve. When I was a kid, I had to spend my Christmas break filming a PSA about angel dust. So yeah, being a kid sucks sometimes. Presented by Andrew Reich and Ben Blacker. Dead Pilot Society, twice a month on MaximumFun.org. You know, the show you like, that hobo with the scarf who lives in a magic dumpster. (laughs) Doctor Who. Yeah. Hey there, beautiful people. Did you hear that good, good news? Something about the baby Jesus? Mm, he's coming back. Or do you mean the fact that <laughs> Apple Podcasts has named Fanti one of the best shows of 2020? I mean, we already knew that we was hot stuff, but a little external validation never hurts, okay? Hosted by me, writer and journalist Jared Hill. And me, the ebony enchantress myself, <laughs> Travel Anderson. Fanti is your home for complex conversations about the gray areas in our lives, the people, places, and things. We're huge fans of, but got some anti-feelings toward. You name it, we fan tie Nobody's off limits. Check us out every Thursday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your Slayworthy audio. Uh, the Flophouse is sponsored in part by 
many fine products and services like this one that Elliot will talk about right now. Hey guys, now more than ever, storytellers and content creators are challenged with producing more video content and at a higher quality than ever before. Tell me about it. I'm having so much trouble keeping up with all my video content that I'm making. But you can keep up with the growing demands for modern video content without sacrificing your vision with stock media from Storyblocks. Storyblocks is dedicated to being the world's best royalty-free stock media subscription service. It's got an ever-growing library with over 1 million high-quality stock assets, including 4K HD footage. you got After Effects and Premiere Pro templates. There's music. There's images. There's sound effects. There's so much more. They've got affordable subscriptions, plans, and tools. And with the Storyblocks Unlimited All-Access Plan, you get unlimited downloads of everything in their library. So even if your subscription has ended, you can still keep everything that you downloaded. Storyblocks, uh, we got some free logins for it to try it out. And for those of you who watched our Teen Wolf live show, you'll know that there was a brief intermission where Dan sang for two minutes over stock footage about how he needed to pee. Uh, Dan constructed that himself, I think purely using Storyblocks footage, and it was amazing <laughs> and beautiful. And Dan, how was your experience working with Storyblocks? I, you're correct that uh, the, um, the visuals that went with my song about peeing were all from Storyblocks, and uh, I did not want for anything. All the ideas I had, they had uh, great options for it. So, A-plus a Storyblocks. They, everything in that one, from waterfalls to people clinking their beer signs to a, some <laughs> kind of whimsical clown. Was the clown dancing? I can't quite remember. Uh, yeah, it devolved a little bit. I think there was maybe an Elvis impersonator there at one point. I'm yeah, not sure. There was like a flash dance style dancer at one point. It was yeah. really, it was beautiful. And we can give all of the credit to Storyblocks. Uh, go ahead, explore their library and subscribe today at storyblocks.com slash flop. Again, that's storyblocks.com slash flop flop also uh we are sponsored in part by hello fresh which lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes home cooking easy fun and affordable and that's why it's america's number one meal kit uh eating healthier has never been easier with low-cal carb smart vegetarian and pescatarian options every week and no matter what you choose every single recipe is packed with fresh produce sourced directly from farmers hello fresh's Easy Eats offering has tons of quick and easy meal solutions like 10 to 20 minute meals, low prep recipes, and quick breakfasts and lunches. Perfect for your busy schedule. I had some HelloFresh, uh, you know, they, they uh, gave us some samples. Very nice of them. I very much enjoyed them. Sometimes I'm a scoffer. I like to make my food complex. I make to make it hard. I want it to be a big project and everyone to say, good job, Dan. Look at all that work you put into that food. Uh-huh. But, you know, life isn't always like that. Sometimes you want it a lot simpler. And HelloFresh was a lot of fun to make these tasty meals. Uh, and it was a, a snap. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Flop10 and use code FLOP10 for 10 free meals, including free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com Flop10 and code FLOP10 for 10 free meals. Stuart, I believe you have a Jumbotron. J-J-J-J-Jumbotron. Coming out of the Jumbotron zone, it's me, Stuart Wellington, with a hot new Jumbotron for your ears. Hi, Flop fans. I'm Bex, a.k.a. Potato Lady Podcast Reviews. A few months ago, I accidentally became a podcast reviewer on Twitter. Now... I have a long list of good indie podcasts, and I think it'd be cool if I could connect listeners to new pods. 
So, if you're looking for new and enjoyable ear content, please follow me on Twitter and or Instagram at B-E-X-G-O-O-S, Bex Goose or Goose. Feel free to at me for specific recommendations based on your interests. Also, there's more info in the pinned tweet on my profile. So follow Potato Lady Podcast Reviews on Twitter at Bex Goose to get podcast recommendations. Yeah, I am looking for better ear content because right now my ear ear mostly just has wax in it, which is uh-huh. not very good. Hey, I realized that... Um, so, good for candles. Uh, some way, <laughs> very good for candles. It some is way, very good for candles. <laughs> some ways back, uh, we did a behind the microphone, uh, which can be found uh, in the bonus feed if you are a Max Fun uh, 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 donor member. Um, and uh, we did a little trivia game, and I just realized I've had it in my inbox to do this for a long time, and I keep missing it every time. I apologize so much to the people involved. I was supposed to shout out. My team, which won that game, uh, yep. that was part of the the big prize, is, is us shouting them out. But uh, I don't want to. Sorry, I, I that makes it sound so belittling. <laughs> I'm belittling yep. the idea of a shout out being a prize from me. But um, uh, I just want to say thank you to Pat, Lesson Monica, Anastasia, Josh, and John. Uh, for being my team and uh, riding uh, the the Dan McCoy train to victory over the evil Elliot Kalen. Yeah, that was really fun. <laughs> I just said a friendly game. I don't know why one was evil. Well, I don't know either, Elliot. Maybe you yeah, need to I mean, look inside The strange yourself. thing was it wasn't even required that you were evil. You were just yeah. evil. Yeah. Oh, now I feel bad. Look at his face. Guys, guys, I'm... I, by by marriage, I'm half evil. So I just, <laughs> you know, evil has had it too hard for too long. You know. Yeah. What am I talking about? Evil is rampant around the world. Evil's having a great time right now. Uh, before we get back to the show, any uh, personal plugs you guys have? Yeah, please, if you get a chance, uh, you can support uh, my... So in addition to being a world-class podcaster, hmm. I also have a little side hustle where my wife and I own a couple of bars, and you can support them by going to visit them. That's Minnie's Bar in Sunset Park, Brooklyn, or Hinterlands Bar in Kensington, Brooklyn. You can also email hinterlandsbarmerch at gmail.com to get in on our selection of T-shirts, hoodies, and bandanas shipped right to your door. Your door. <laughs> you sounded like you're figuring something out. <laughs> yeah. That was the activation code for a brainwashed assassin somewhere in America. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to promote three things. Number one, Sharko and Hippo, my children's book from la- from fall of last year, still out there. Please pick it up for the child in your life or the person with a childlike level of entertainment. There's also uh, my comic book, Maniac of New York, number two, comes out in March. There's a second printing of the first issue. It was coming out in March. It was a big hit seller, and so it might be hard to get that first issue in March. Pick up number one and number two. I hope you're going to like it. Pat Oswalt likes it. And if he likes it, I think you're going to like it too. Number three, less a plug and just another thank you to everybody who watched our Teen Wolf live show. Uh, It was a big success. We really felt loved by our fans, and we really appreciate it. So thank you. Yeah. I got another plug, but if anyone has a a way to get rid of hay fever, just uh, let me know. I did all those things I said before. I've been drinking this thing. 
Put some hot water with some tea, some ginger, honey, lemon, turmeric. Uh, there's some pineapple vinegar in there. Hey Dan, uh, Dan, I actually, of, I actually have a, huh? I, I have a, a, re- a thing to help you. What's that? It's, it's a little trick. It's so you gotta first you gotta open the door. Uh huh. Then you gotta, then you gotta get on the floor. Uh huh. <laughs> and then you gotta walk the dinosaur. <laughs> I'll try anything once. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> now that that's been established, I guess back to gotcha. uh, back to the rest of the show. Uh, but let's move on now to letters from listeners like you. Who knows? Maybe, maybe. Uh, this yeah. Did you send in a letter? If you did, then possibly, yeah. Right. Uh, uh, you know, and if you're not, it's not our fault. Got to be in it to win it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, you tell him, Dan. You tell him. <laughs> you get at him for not sending in letters. Uh, Just like uh, Wayne Gretzky always said, got to play the game to score some points. Uh-huh. Um. Hey, guys, guys, if I can, uh, letter writers learn from my mistake. Uh, when I was young, I had a certain amount of envy for Zeb Wells, the Marvel Comics writer who won the Marvel Comics talent search uh, and became a professional comics writer. And I was like, uh, I should be writing Marvel Comics. I didn't even enter the contest, everybody. I didn't do yeah. the basic minimum yeah. to win. You know what? Good on you, Zeb, for actually getting some skin in the game and me i guess i'm living in the in the wreckage of those mistakes so letter writers if you <laughs> want to be part of the show you. yeah just write a letter you got it takes no time and dan will only wait years to get around to answering mm-hmm. it so this first letter is from <laughs> joe last name withheld who writes hey guys i want to preface this with uh this is my entirely my fault I couldn't find my earbuds, so I was listening to the prequel mini through my phone's speaker. Uh, while on one of your back-and-forth runs, my wife walked by, stopped, and said, Is that Ted Cruz on your phone? Why are you listening to a Ted Cruz podcast? I immediately had to stop the playback, rewind, and find out which one of you three she thought sounded like the junior D-bag from Texas. Bet's in? All right, so who, who do we think? Who do we think it is? Do we think it's no one wants probably, to? Probably, probably me. I think my my instant reaction to Ted Cruz's voice is always for my eardrums to spontaneously shut down. So I don't really remember <laughs> what his voice sounds like. Uh, sadly, uh, Elliot, it was you. It was you. Uh, wow. Really? Probably just because of my heavy Texas accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Your twang. Yep. Definitely. Uh, so <laughs> Joe asks. Is there anyone that someone said you looked like or sounded like that you couldn't see or even just totally offended your sense of self? Thanks and love the content. Joe, last name with all. Well, I assume Ted Cruz is your answer to that, Alex. <laughs> that's pretty. That's, I mean, I've Certainly been, jumped the list. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is a, there's literally a video on YouTube. I don't know if it's still there. That's called, that's titled Elliot Kalen in Dracula Dead and Loving It that someone put up, which is just a nerdy looking guy in Dracula Dead and Loving It. So like any, any nerd or whiny voice I get compared to. Yeah. So like something, something I learned early on when I was a young man is no one ever likes being told, hey, you look like this person or you sound like this person. Yeah. Unless that that person is the is us the most attractive person that you can yeah. imagine. Yeah. You know, this is a, no one likes to be compared. This is to something else. that they uh, uh, our you know our network uh, mates uh, Jordan Jesse go. They have a rule which is uh, do not tell someone that they look like someone famous unless that person is famous for being attractive. Unless that mm-hmm. is the reason yeah. they are. Uh, because yeah, but that's and, not the point of the question. The question no, 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 is for you to spill them dirty yeah, deeds, I mean, dude. And even even then, when you're compared when you're compared even to an attractive person, what you are being told is, "Hey, you're not unique. 
There's another person more successful and famous right. than you mm-hmm. who has your face, and they're using it better than you are. Yeah. So, and in this, or in this case, someone else has my voice, and they're using it to destroy lives and, and take their family to Cancun during a blizzard. So, yeah. well, it's topical. hard to say, like, why you might have a hang-up, too, because, like, a lot of people, because I have a close-cropped, dark beard, a lot of people have been like, oh, Dan looks like Riker. And now, and, like, Audrey is like... Why does this bother you? Like she like looked up pictures. I'm like he's a handsome guy. He's a handsome guy. I'm like mm-hmm. yeah, but Riker's such a doofus. <laughs> and she's like, well, I'm not saying you're a doofus. You're saying that you look like Riker. I'm like yeah, but I can't I mean, separate yeah. it out, man. <laughs> like I mean, William Frakes is a is a is a successful director of television and films now. So yeah. you know it's that's not that's not bad. Two takes mm-hmm. Frakes, I think they call him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Stuart Glenn, do you have anything that uh, applies here? Uh, I'll go. Um, let's see. Back in the aughts, I went to a comedy show. Uh, my friends wanted to sit right up close. Uh, I asked, is this guy going to do crowd work? And they were like, nah, I, don't, I don't know. And of course it was <laughs> crowd work. And um, so both, I, I re- remember this because both the featured act and the headliner came out and at one point called me the commish. Not, <laughs> not, not the dude, not chickless, but the commish. Yeah. Um, because at the time I was, you know, I mean, not because, but I was a huskier gentleman at the time. I was about pushing 280 at the time there. So, uh, and, uh, I was bald and, uh, a little husky. And I think that was the low hanging fruit that they kind of, you know, reacted to. It was like they can sense movement. Um, but I mean, there was like, I mean, I, I had glasses at Chickless uh-huh. at the time had, uh, the horseshoe. <laughs> I was shaved bald. It's just like, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like. Yeah. yeah, the commish chickless is a little. Although weirdly, the commish chickless looks older than he does at the start of the shield. Yeah, but, you know. Yeah, they didn't say the shield, it's... and the shield was on. The, ch- the commish was like <laughs> gone off the air in like ninety. Yeah. It's more fun to say. And the you were commish. there wearing. Yeah, you were wearing a Wilson's leather jacket. And you had a fucking <laughs> cell phone on a holster on your hip. <laughs> yeah, so that's me. The uh, the mom jeans of the commish is one of my, uh, or the mom jeans of the shield is one of my favorite things of. Uh, of TV uh, style. Now, Stewart only gets it compared to attractive people. Uh, I mean, when I was younger, I got compared to John Goodman a lot. Uh, huh. When I was in high school, I was also a larger. There was a larger Stewart walking uh-huh. around. Uh, but I and do you, get, and you were and you were briefly named King of England. Yeah, <laughs> yes, due to a mix-up. Yeah, it was. I mean, it wasn't a, a bunch of people up. died. It was, yeah, it was, it was more like the entire <laughs> so royal family. So laws of succession got electrocuted. <laughs> It was the, a mix-up uh, between a wire and some water, yeah. yeah. I, I've gotten some complimentary comparisons. Uh, my favorite was when uh, two different people within two days compared me to Michael Fassbender. So, sure. of course, I rushed out and rented shame, and I was like, yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's me. All right. The, for There was a brief time, there was a brief, the, the only, uh, uh, I think, slightly complimentary comparison I forgot was there was a brief time in the early 2000s when people would be like, oh, you look kind of like Casey Affleck. And now even that's been tainted forever. Yeah. So thanks a lot, Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I was younger, uh, yeah, I would get John Cusack a lot, which w- seemed complimentary at the time. And as he's aged, has seemed less complimentary. <laughs> but uh, he has become kind of a strange, strange man. <laughs> uh, I think he was always a strange man, Dan. I think, I think it was just we weren't aware of it. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, our second and final letter is, uh, oh, it says Roger Ebert from the grave. Hi, guys, mm-hmm. it's your boy Roger or Mr. Ebert. 
It's nice hearing that things are still going well. <laughs> You're nasty. <laughs> as, as long as my name is still uttered, it is almost like I never pass. My ghost of the machine grows stronger with every mention. Soon I will control all internet movie reviews. Spread my word and legacy, you poor fools, and soon I will control you as well. Enjoy your final days. Two thumbs down. So that was a chilling message from beyond yeah. the grave. Ironically, because I think he gave a thumbs down to Lawnmower Man, and yet yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's his yeah. life now. Yeah. Did not like Supergirl. Thought uh, yeah, I didn't. He didn't. Thought Helen Slater was likable, which is true. I, you know, we talk about how like they don't give her much to do. I don't know whether it's Stockholm syndrome of like this and Secret of My Success and Legend of Billie Jean being on HBO on repeat when I was young. Mm -hmm. I've always, you know, I've always liked Helen Slater. I, uh, I, I thought she was fun in this, but Roger oh. Ebert is uh, haunting us and will soon take control oh. of the vertical and the horizontal. <laughs> oh, I'm confused by how he's going to take control know. Of, of what, the podcast or our lives? Mm. Am I going to wake up one day and suddenly be like, i got to get back to Chicago. <laughs> I'm Roger Ebert now. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. we, we'll just have to wait and see what his dark design is. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> Hold on, wait. <laughs> Light swinging back and forth, erasing all the things around me. Let me get to his design. No, it's still mm -hmm. just him sitting at a typewriter. It doesn't tell me very much. Uh... <laughs> He's going to close all our balconies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into our, our final segment, um, which is uh -huh. recommendations of movies that you could watch, uh, perhaps instead of Supergirl. But if you like the sort of thing that Supergirl is, you'll probably like Supergirl. I'll recommend... What, you're saying, what Dan's saying is, audience, you don't need our permission to watch Supergirl yeah. or one of these other whatever. movies. We're not gatekeepers trying nope. to keep you from your... Favorite movies or whatever, just watch whatever you want. Maybe you want, to, maybe you'll like one of these too. Yeah, uh, I want to recommend. I watched uh, Saint Maud, the uh, horror movie. Spooky. Uh, yeah, uh, it was delayed. That's the sound effect I do whenever somebody recommends a horror movie on this podcast. <laughs> I remember, I remember seeing the trailer over and over at the Alamo Draft House before the pandemic, and then uh, finally a year later, after seeing it like seventy times. The chance to see Saint Maud, and uh, you know, very good, very good movie. Mostly, <laughs> uh, mostly just uh, two great actors going at it. Uh, creepy. I don't know. I'm going at it by doing acting, Stuart. Don't give me that face. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what to say, but it's the thing is, it's one of those movies. It's very clear you don't know what no, to say. No, I know. It. I'm sorry. I the hay fever sketchy up to me. It's just a you know, it's a very tight horror movie it's less than 90 minutes it's one of these movies that sort of explores the line between like uh madness and religious uh passion and um increasingly sort of like someone's life falling apart in increasingly dramatic ways uh but i don't well, like frailty with uh bill bill paxton <laughs> not exactly like that but uh it is kind of what you would expect out of the movie. Like, if you've seen the trailer, I wasn't like, oh, my God, this isn't the movie I expected. But it's the best kind of version <laughs> of that. I thought this was the movie version of the show Maud. Uh, <laughs> What's going on here? Uh, I'm not doing a good job. So I'll just say St. Maud, I enjoyed it. <laughs> Let's move on to someone whose head is more in the right place. Uh, Stuart, what do you want to recommend? Yeah, I'm going to recommend an, uh, a newish movie uh, that also features two great actors going at it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to recommend a movie called Synchronic, 
that is uh, written and directed by the Moorhead and Benson uh, duo that made, uh, they made, oh man, uh, Spring, and they made, uh, what's the, The Endless, um, oh. and it is a movie uh, with Anthony Mackie and Jamie Dornan, Jamie Dornan, of course, beloved of the Flophouse podcast because he's a bee. Uh, the two of them play uh, New Orleans uh, paramedics and they start investigating or they start uh, they turn up a string of bodies uh, of people who have died uh, not uh, that have overdosed but also have died under mysterious circumstances and they begin to kind of launch their own personal investigation of it and uh, just like the other Moorhead and Benson movies it's uh, a little weird it's a little straightforward and there's some scenes in there that are unsettling but in ways that it's hard to kind of put your finger on uh the performances are fun uh check it out uh synchronic oh by the way Stu, uh, i didn't uh recommend barb and star go to vista del mar because i assumed you would but uh since you mentioned yes. jamie dornan i just yep. want to say uh you know like uh, obviously Annie Mumolo and Kristen Wiig are the, the driving forces behind that. So uh, so props to them mostly. But I also want to say that movie totally turned me around on Jamie Dornan. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, when you're right? a big goofball, oh. you're so much fun. Mm-hmm. Another movie that just has two great actresses going at it. Okay. <laughs> well, Dan okay. Loves. Let's not. I call this. them an official couple. Let's not keep this good. <laughs> Elliot, do you have. Speaking of, yeah. speaking of movies where two actresses go at no. it. Uh, so. <laughs> Uh, I'd like to recommend a movie called Daisies. This is uh, newish for me. It's from 1966, mm. so it's new <laughs> compared to other movies I watch. And it is a uh, landmark work from the Czech New Wave, one of my favorite. And I'm going to say my favorite New Wave. I like it even more than the French New Wave, to be honest. I love Czech movies from that time. And gonna get, uh, We're going to get so many fucking emails mm. now. <laughs> uh, the, Fre- the French New Wave was the best, blah, 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 blah. And I'll be like, forget it. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, it's kind of like uh, if... Two young women starred in the Marx Brothers movie that Salvador Dali never got to make. Huh. In that, it's these two women who are doing their best to kind of like, um, in scene after scene, and it's not a plot-driven movie, but it's very much a scene-driven movie, kind of take apart uh, the society around them and indulge as much as possible, especially in food, but also in like avoiding responsibility or uh, just getting into very surreal types of trouble. And there are things that uh, the director, whose name is Vera Chitilova, I think I'm pronouncing it wrong probably, but uh, the writer-director, there are things that she does in it visually that are really neat and things that she does with editing that are really neat. But it's just a it's a real straight shot of anarchy right into your eyeballs. And I really enjoyed it a lot. So that's Daisies, and I think it's on the Criterion channel now, but I'm not sure about that. I know it's been there in the past. I've seen it as I've scrolled uh, and Glenn, what would you like to recommend? Well, if you want to see a little bit more from Peter O'Toole without the tunic, uh, then I would recommend the 1972 film The Ruling Class, which is based on the Peter Barnes mm. stage play. Uh, watch Peter O'Toole in a, in a role that, if he wasn't, if it wasn't written for him, he makes it feel like it was written for him, that only he could do it. He's the Earl of Gurney, uh, who uh, didn't think he was going to inherit the title, but his father dies suddenly, and uh, he plays a a person who believes himself to be uh, the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. It is a very caustic and very satirical uh, takedown of the aristocracy uh, with show tunes. So uh, what's not to love? That's um, the ruling class. 
Excellent. Well, Glenn, thank you so much for being here and uh, you know giving us you know a thin veneer of respectability. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, there's it's the veneer is as thin as the lead sheets that line the ground of Argo City. Uh, is, it's okay I mean, it, because it was, I, sorry, when say Sue. I was just going to say, it was, it was nice to have somebody on the show who knows about superhero stuff for a change. <laughs> I was going to say, it's okay because Argo City has a layer of kryptonite covered by a layer of lead, covered by a layer of asbestos, covered by a layer of radium, covered by a layer of hydrochloric acid. It all cancels out. It's yeah, there's, safe some, in the there's some black mold in there, too. Yeah, oh, 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 there's a lot of black. You get underneath that. There's there's like a there's a thin kind of plastic that we don't know gives us cancer yet, but will, and underneath that is the black mold. It's, oh, boy. It's yeah, like the walls of Argo City look like they're always wet, so that can't be good for you. <laughs> no. Uh, you don't want to get the damp in. You don't want to let the damp come in. Before we sign off, Glenn, do you want to plug anything in particular? Uh, well, I've listened to Pop Culture Happy Hour. It's uh, bigger and better than ever. It's now daily, um, and uh, I'm having a ball with that. I'm writing a book that's coming out in June. Actually, oh, why did I say that? The book's written. <laughs> it's coming out in June. Uh, <laughs> no, no, con- continue the illusion that you're writing it up to the exactly. moment of release. <laughs> it's uh, a guide to how to start to conceive and launch a podcast uh, with a lot of NPR voices. Um, um, and it's uh, it's written on behalf of NPR. It's called the NPR Startup Guide. And uh, yeah, that's coming out in at the end of June. Yeah, this, this is a really funny way for you to ask us to be interviewed for that book, Glenn. Yeah, it <laughs> seems like you... Uh, huh. it, it's it's already just written, NPR people. It's, I'm telling you, I, I would have, I would have... I, I, I would have, but it's just NPR people. It's uh, a company book. (laughs) Uh, We'll have to do our own. Okay, well, thank you for being here. Thank you, listeners, for being here as well. Uh, Why don't you go on over to MaximumFun.org. Check out the other great podcasts over there. Uh, Tweet about us. Spread the word. Write a review on iTunes. Please make it nice. If not... You know, what's the point? Do you really want to take take your time doing that? But uh, until next time, for the Flophouse, I've been Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. I'm Elliot Kalen. Also want to thank our editor, Jordan Cowling. I know Dan was meant to do that, Sorry, but yeah. the, hay, the hay fever got to his head. That's uh-huh. okay. Mm-hmm. I'm about to sneeze. That a, spe- that a special thanks to our special guest. And I'm Glenn Wilden. Bye. 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 <laughs> Uh, real quick, watch me paste this pathetic Puluka with a powerful paralyzing perfect pachydermic percussion pitch. Yep, I'm good. I like that you guys have your own warm ups. You have a, a real tongue twister, and Dan sneezes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.